everybody, and welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and uh, today I am more than that. I am also the point guard on the wonderful, the unstoppable Black Cat Podcasters. Joining me tonight, your starting lineup. (laughs) It already begins. It's coming. (laughs) It's already begun. This is going to be a good episode. Joining me tonight, your starting lineup, our center, Joel Lewis. Howdy. Everybody cheer. (laughs) Please, please clap. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) ouch. Oh, it hurts. (laughs) Leading our drum line, Tim Gerard. Oh, man, yeah, see, there we go. Oh, let's just peek all the mics all right. out. Fuck your mics! And our power forward, our strategic mastermind, and our mascot, Zeke Perez! Hello. 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 Right. Take sports. it off, take it off. Sports, sports, sports. Sports ball. Do the thing with the thing. Put the thing in the place, score the points. Just catch the orb. Catch the orb. Uh, you know, I, every time you get some the sentence like that, it reminds me of Zoolander for some reason. <laughs> like just the the way it's said and the yeah, like yeah. limited understanding of the situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you all for joining us and for tolerating my cheesy intro. Woo! Movie Mumble is a monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where four friends take turns picking movies, watching them together, and then talking about them. Um, sort of like a book club, but for movies based on the idea that we get more out of the films when we share them with people whose company we enjoy and that we bring to each other experiences we would otherwise miss on our own. There are no rules about the films we pick. They can be old or new, live action or animated, foreign or domestic, familiar or unfamiliar. You just gotta pick a movie and you gotta find a way for us to watch it. That's really <laughs> the only rule. Sometimes that's more difficult than other <laughs> Yes. And sometimes our services just don't cooperate tonight. Mm. Uh, every Pay month. your bill, Joel. <laughs> <laughs> kids need shoes, Tim. You want my kids to walk around with those shoes? You need kitten mittens for Rodney. <laughs> All right. Four. It's four mittens. Uh, They're all different size. Every month we take turns picking our film, and at the end of each month we announce what we're watching next month, so you can watch along with us if you like. We never dis- never choose to withhold spoilers for anything we're watching. We also don't necessarily guide our conversation too strictly. It can go anywhere. We can also spoil other films. So just I don't know. Be warned. Watch every film. If there's something you're seen everything you're really worried discuss. about, you know, go watch it first. Uh, and then at the end of the month, we announce what we're watching next month. Uh, this month, it was Zeke's turn to bring us a film. He brought us the documentary, the first documentary we've watched. Really, yeah. I, mm-hmm. You could make an argument for Kyanaskatsi, but I think a documentary needs a little more sort of central point than that yeah, you know, know. Like, but Katsi was at least real life you know? footage I mean I feel like it was more of a commentary on life than sure. a documentary right. yeah sure. like you know yeah you're right. it was kind of like vague it wasn't yeah. like this is about this thing and we're gonna follow it not through. a specific topic to focus on so much as yeah they also happen to be about real life footage instead of you know staged footage yeah. but our first documentary about basketball so Zeke, as a movie selector, do you want to introduce the film to us and explain why you brought it to us this month? Sure, yeah. Uh, so Hoop Dreams is a 1994 documentary. Um, I'll start with the plot. So it's about two um, two basketball prospects, kind of tracks them from when they're in uh, late middle school as they you know, are, are recruited by a high school, a private high school, St. Joe's in Chicago. Um, 
and they go on to play there uh, with aspirations of going to college and playing basketball and ultimately making the NBA. Um, so it follows these two guys, Arthur A.G. and William Gates. Um, and yeah, throughout, I mean, you learn a lot about them, about their families, about their upbringing. Um, they're brought up in the Cabrini Green projects in Chicago, so that's a, an interesting layer to it. Um, and yeah, throughout the movie, different things happen to him, um, injuries, um, you know, tuition keeps Arthur out of the private school, he has to go back to public school, and all of this shapes, uh, you know, their outcome and, and, and where they end up in life and, and chasing their basketball dreams. Um, so I picked it, um, it was a little bit of a risk to pick it, I felt like, because the other, I mean, there's so many great basketball movies, and I was thinking about He Got Game with Denzel, um, semi-pro, uh, white men can't jump. I mean, there's just so many that I love and, and so many different directions I could have gone. So I felt a little risky going with the documentary just because, um, I don't know, it's just a different way to serve the same material, I think. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and also, I just wanted to set the record for the, the longest runtime of a movie we you watched. Did. So you did. thanks for, <laughs> thanks for sticking really? it this out. This was longer than Stalker? Yeah. Oh. It didn't feel I, like it, did no. it? I remember that one time when you were having trouble and it kept showing the, the, like, the play bar. <laughs> and it was like just over halfway yep. through. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> it was 75% yeah. at that point. But there was a moment. Um, and we only lost you to sleep for about half an hour, Tim. So I was yeah. happy about that. I was trying so hard. I was like yeah. fighting. It. I didn't. I didn't give up. I was like, no, no, just keep watching. Uh, <laughs> so the record for most hours slept on the podcast. <laughs> I'm a sleepy boy. <laughs> to be honest, though, there was a moment um, where I was like, okay, we've made a solid den in this. This is really flying by because it, the way it tracks it, it shows them early, and then it cues it up with freshman year, and then sophomore year, and then junior year. And we had been on junior year for a while, yeah. and I was like, okay, like we're really making it through this. And I checked my phone, and it was only an hour in. I was like, the oh my God, they're go, going to hate the me. The slower time passes. Yeah. yeah. So that was, um, you know, and we'll talk about that too, about, um, I don't know, it's kind of a, a level movie throughout. Um, we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I just wanted to bring a, bring a documentary and kind of explore that way of approaching a subject. Um, and so... Another thing I know we talk about is why I brought it. Um, and so this is one that I saw in middle school. Um, wow. Yeah, shout out to the Maury Mustangs. Um, and I don't know, it was an interesting film class for middle school. Wow. Because that's where I saw Citizen Kane, too. In <laughs> middle school? In middle school, yeah. <laughs> I think it was 7th or 8th grade. But we had, and I think it was a movie elective, because I'm trying to figure out where else we would have just watched movies and robbed at middle school what the fuck <laughs> it was a good class no yeah. kidding um so we watched this there and it was pretty jarring to me because before then a lot of the sports movies i seen were formulaic and they have the storybook cinderella ending yeah. and they're happy and or, or either that or their sports comedies right happy gilmore and the right. Waterboy, those sorts of movies um and they're all very light and all very fun and it's always happy at the end even rocky right which is gritty throughout mm-hmm. you get a, a you know some happy endings at the end of those um so i remember seeing this one in middle school and all of williams games all of his uh you know runs to the state championship just end in failure and every year you're waiting for william to to hit the basket and 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 take the team to state and And every year yeah every every year it never happens and i remember play by play right yeah there's some great shots too of like just him and then the shot going up and not in and I just remember seeing that in middle school and just 
being a little heartbroken, right? And being like, what do you mean a, a sports movie can end this way? <laughs> so, like, how is this the thing? So, Oh, this uh, is from the point of view of the losing team instead of the winning team. Because right. someone's we always do that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, I don't know. It was just one that it was a new format for me when I had first seen it and kind of, of uh, jarred me a little bit, I guess, in terms of what I expected from that genre of movies and movies in general, I guess. So. Mm-hmm. You also covered how it came into your life. Mm-hmm. Thank yep. you for that. Yeah. yeah. Seasoned veteran at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can just, leave, boys. It's all Zeke now. <laughs> Welcome to the Zeke show. Do it. It's Zeke. I'll Zeke. do it, Zeke. too. <laughs> all four mics. Four mics, one Zeke. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Coming this fall. <laughs> Spotify and your favorite streaming service. Four mics, four eyes. <laughs> right? Yeah. Can do that. I, just, I realized as we were watching all four of us wear glasses and yeah. we didn't process that. I've been thinking that, about it. Right? Cool Logo, but yeah. I can't draw, so but let's figure that out. Yeah, For, patent, the glasses patent. would also make us really bad basketball players because we'd constantly be breaking them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, there's context, and we could have goggles, right. could rock yeah. some goggles. Right. <laughs> of all the sports that you hear about children breaking their glasses in, basketball yeah. is the one that just comes up a lot. Yeah, so. or in my dad's case, his collarbone. <laughs> Worse than the glasses. Just a little bit. Yeah, not as sturdy people. What's funny is he's pretty sturdy, actually. I'm, I very much want to get tight, but um, despite my height, not suited for basketball. Too fragile. Right? Um, normally, we'd go around and ask about favorite scenes. I'm not sure if. I mean, still favorite, we could, but yeah. favorite in a different capacity, I guess. As if not, not like you know, coolest or most entertaining, but sort of most interesting, most striking, most reflective. I guess surprising. I, you know, just because it's a documentary and its yeah. purpose is less to entertain than it is to just show what happens. By nature, our answers are going to be a little bit different than usual. Before we jump into that, though, can I get oh, the please. first impressions? Just uh, curious about what everyone thought, and you know, I again was worried about bringing. Uh, second sports movie in a row. And, Last and month, Joel had to step in and save me from failing to host, and now it's Zeke. Right. So, no, um, so yeah, just I, I'm curious what folks thought. I know it's not you know a sports fan centric podcast in, in some ways, so. Uh, I promise this is the last one for a while, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, just I mean, I, did you hate it? That's fine. Did you? Were you interested? I don't know. Let's get the Look at that round two. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. <laughs> well. I, I have seen a few sports movies in my past. Uh, most of them were, I think, either comedies. Um, like, what was the one? I think it's The Replacements with mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen uh, Blades of Glory, you know, stuff like that, you know, um, that are, yeah, that are that are kind of comedies first and, like, sports movies second, I feel right. like. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I also probably... My, jumped up onto my recording table and put his lips to the mic and got shocked. <laughs> okay, Zap, Kat, step up to the mic. You're done. Oh, got zapped by static and just you I know, love you. reacted you like, a, like a cat. <laughs> not it was beautiful. Like I kept looking at him like, oh, Waiting, good, right. so I was He's like, no, I'll table. pet you. Just come over here. It sits cool. And then. The claws come up. The cat is our is also the inspiration behind the Black Cats podcasting. Right, team. I think we need to work him in there somewhere. I'm editing all of that out. Oh. Why? That's hilarious. He's not paid. He'll <laughs> sue. Uh, you pay him with food. <laughs> Just as we are. Paid. I apologize. Right, exactly. Yes. Yes. Food Everyone's is the wages of this here. podcast. <laughs> True. Uh, okay. So 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 yeah. So probably. Um, 
one of the things I think, uh, my, like my favorite sports movie, which I think isn't, yeah, it's it's another one that isn't sports centered. It kind of it's a it's a story that uses sports as a vehicle. And I may have mentioned this before was a uh, um, um, peaceful warrior, mm-hmm. uh, which gymnastics is the sport. But yeah, but it's it's sort of a vehicle for that idea of you know this person kind of being really good at something, kind of crashing and burning, and then building himself up back to be and to actually being better than he was before, you know, and kind of reaching new heights. Um, and I feel like with that, because of that, because you could tell that it wasn't a quote unquote gymnastics movie, a movie about gymnastics, you know that that oh, okay, like I can apply this to kind of my life and insert whatever I want in place of gymnastics. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like, you know, I feel like, and I don't know that you could do that with every movie because I feel like a lot of them are probably more about the sport. Um, but, uh, but you know, that's kind of how I went into this thinking about that. Like when you told us a little bit of what it was about, it was like, okay, like, you know, I was kind of <clears throat> prepared to be like, okay, Am I going to identify too much with these kids by kind of replacing music with basketball and that whole thing? You know, you're a kid. And I think at one point they even mentioned, too, where it's like, you know, yeah, you're you're in, you know, this one school and you're the best one in your school. And then they pluck you out and bring you over here. And you're like, hey, how come I'm not the best anymore? You know, like little things like that where you're kind of like watching them kind of grow and having these aspirations. But okay, it's in, and it's not just that it's, like, difficult, but there are other life things that kind of got in the way, like, you know, him having to go back to his original school, you know, and, and then, oh, well, maybe that kind of is going to work out for him in the end, but then, oh, wait, you know, and then, okay, well, you know, and at, you're kind of, like, looking at this goal in the future and being like, well, this is where you need to be to kind of reach that goal, but then, like, where you are is kind of slowly moving farther away from where you need to be based on, you know, where you are at that point. And then, okay, I guess I'll do communications, you know, like that type of thing. <laughs> so that was kind of my, my big thing is I wasn't, I wasn't bored by the basketball part of it. It was, um, it, yeah, it was more of just, like, kind of watching their journey and just being like, Yep. Okay. Yep. Been there. Got it. Yep. I, you know, I, I definitely like could empathize with them, Mm -hmm. you know, in that sense. And, you know, um, aside from just the basketball specific, but that, that idea of, you know, the, the dream of making it big, you know, and, and yeah, at at what point do you kind of say, okay, this isn't going to happen. I'm going to change directions, you know, and, um, you know, and kind of also seeing like the two of them too, where it's like, okay, well, you know, this one's kind of failing more than the other. Okay, so should he give up, but the other guy keep going? But then again, the guy who, who you know, who is having more success, is he just going to get farther before he realizes it's not going to happen? And then he's kind of more in deep to, you know, uh, into his sort of like, okay, I've been not participating in all the other stuff that, that people participate in in life because I've been pursuing this basketball thing. And now I'm like this age as opposed to this age when I realized, oh, I better back out of this and find something else, you know, like the the older brother where, you know, he was like, yeah, when I was, in, you know, I feel like there was almost a sense of like, you know, I don't know exactly how old he was when he kind of just realized, oh, this basketball thing isn't going to happen. So it was kind of just like, oh, is, is, is he kind of the lucky one out of this whole thing that he kind of realized that the, you know, this hoop dream was a dream, you know, and kind of moved over and. You know, and you you you're you're trying not to kind of like parallel yourself too much with them, and it's just like you know, it's 
uh, uh, one of the things I thought of right off the bat was Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, you know, and it's right. just like, oh God, am I fucking Uncle Rico? Like, <laughs> you know, so like kind of seeing all these 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 type of characters that I feel like in a lot of way where, um, you know, we root for them, but then it's like, yeah, there's there's kind of this bittersweet ending, you know, it's it and it's not like. Rocky, because it's like, I feel like with him, he didn't want to be the best win-all, take-all. He, he's like, I want a shot. Right. And then, so, you know, and, and I feel like it is still kind of open-ended enough, because it's like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, we know that now because there are other Rocky movies, but, you know, with with these guys, when it kind of gives you the yeah. little, yeah, the little synopsis at the end, like, oh, here's what happened to them in college, and you're just like, fuck. <laughs> you know, like, so... So that was kind of so yeah I was I was definitely very engaged and even though it was like basketball and and I used to play basketball a little bit when I was a kid it was one of the sports that I enjoyed playing the most mm-hmm. um, so that part of it was kind of cool like I enjoyed it probably more than if it was like a baseball documentary or a football documentary yeah. um, so so you know there was that part of it too like I remember liking it enough to actually like like my dad had bought a hoop for our backyard you know and I used to like practice you know and it was like yeah like okay like how should I position my hands and this this and that and I forget what kind of got me out of it I think just in general I wasn't much of an outdoorsy kid you know I was more of an indoor kid um so it was probably like the minute the weather got cold or whatever I was just like fuck it I'm going inside you know um but but you know that that part of it too but also like okay I was never nowhere near as good as those kids were but like you know um but then again i'm also grateful because if i was better maybe i would have considered pursuing it but i there was nowhere in hell i was going to be good enough to actually get into the nba so yeah when you're kind of stuck in this middle ground of like um basically just being cattle for these these recruiters you know like who are the kids that we could just go around and kind of lump into our thing just so that our team can be better and we can win they're not necessarily going to have a career but we're going to use them for all we can and then it's like, oh, that whole NFL, I mean, NFL, NBA thing didn't work out. Okay, well, try communications, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know. Right. And I like that one of the coaches comments <laughs> on that, that mm-hmm. um, the, the Marshall coach, you know, mm-hmm. says, I don't like that they're recruiting these kids out of, out of elementary school. He's like, that's yeah. wrong, and mm-hmm. I'm not going to do it, and I'll be out of the game before I do that. And I think that's one of the mm-hmm. um, probably more unfortunate things that happens in sports, right, is that mm-hmm. they're valued as a – that athletes are valued as a commodity so early on, you know, getting recruited in elementary and middle school, and mm-hmm. then all that pressure is placed on you by the time you're in high school, and yeah, so that's a rough aspect to it. But I'm glad I was I was hoping that the um, the balance between being a basketball or a life movie with a little bit of basket or how do I want to phrase it a life movie about mm-hmm. basketball or a basketball movie about life. I was mm-hmm. hoping that that would trend in the. Yeah. in the right direction for you. So mm-hmm. I'm glad yeah. that it did a little bit. I know it skews a little bit on that basketball side. but Yeah, but not so much that it made it, like, unenjoyable mm-hmm. or, like, confusing. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, for yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 Ball, it wasn't ball, about the X's and O's. Right. Right. Nice. Yeah. And actually, one of the things you said also reminded me another part that really bothered me is when um, <clears throat> the the coach for St. Joseph's, when he's like, God, yeah, like, yep, that's that it, guy. you know, like, you know, goes out the door, another one comes uh-huh. in, you know, where it's just like, yeah, like, all he's concerned about is this this 40-year period and, and right. you know, his job, and again, like, not really concerned with the kids, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of telling himself, oh, if you go through our system, you'll be prepared for life, and it's just like, I went through this so I could go play basketball, like, you know, and um, 
you know, and I feel like that's part of it is like maybe some students who are playing basketball as a fun thing to blow off steam. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, they're probably getting those lessons, but if it's like, no, like I want to do this thing for the living, for a living, you know, and it's like, oh, well, I was hard on you, but you're going to remember this dude in years down the road when I made you, you know, lift and you're a better person because of it because you suffered. But it's just like, nope, yeah. like I wanted to play basketball. I'm not playing basketball. Like, what did you really do? Yeah. And now There's he has some... to go live the rest of his life right. as this guy's just taking in new, new kids, yeah. you know. There's some questionable uh, decisions about how the coach handled his injury, right? No kidding. I mean, like, oh, you think you're good to go? Okay, you can, we'll shove you right in in the playoffs, yeah. not, hey, take a year, I'm worried about your future. Just, <clears throat> oh, we can maybe use you to make a run right now. Let's yeah. plug you right in there. Oh, mm -hmm. you're injured again? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, that was the thing when he said something like, oh, it's not up to me, it's up to him. If he says he's, it's like, how about it's up to his doctor? <laughs> like, <laughs> right. That's the thing. Will was very savvy about. Is it. like, coach, if you tell me it's up to me, I'm gonna play. Right. Like you should, you should know that. Like, yeah. That's that's he understood the manipulation <laughs> at that level. It needed just, a figure to step in and say, mm -hmm. yeah, you're not playing. Yeah. Like flat out, that's yeah. not gonna happen. Yeah. And the other part too, a scene that I love that you reminded me of is, um, loved is harsh because it's a sad scene. But when William is like, I went to coach and said you know, here's these problems I'm having, and he just told me to cut everyone off, hmm. you know, what kind of advice? Yeah. Like, he didn't listen to the problem. Right. Just, mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. I mean, that's, how, coach. that's <laughs> how that coach would deal with that problem. If it's a problem on his team, he cuts him. Right. right. Like, that. that's True, the only yeah. advice he was prepared to, to give, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's, right. that's... Just move on if they're... Yeah. yeah. That's true. Joel, what were your first impressions? You couldn't have written it any better. I mean, this yeah. is stranger than fiction, you know? Like, I yeah. just... It didn't feel longer than Stalker. And even when we were getting to that point where it was, like, into junior year and we saw the ticker tape, I was like, I'm still engaged. There's, like, I'm not... Because I'm hanging on to every word. I have no, I have no idea where it ended up. I've never seen any part of this. Mm -hmm. So I was just, like totally captivated and instantly in it just brought me back to high school lacrosse being in a locker room being yelled at by coaches like we we were garbage so we we never had that like last minute like at the buzzer type thing and it's the way it's shot is just like it, they couldn't have choreographed it any better it just was like the rhythm of basketball is so cinematic that high school at this level in Chicago in the 90s was like it was cinematic like that that was really impressive and it was a great like subject and it was so cool to see the peaks and valleys of both it's it's an editing feat like I, I just to 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 manage both those storylines and as one's going down the other seems to be picking up to be let down like it, it's it's like these these peaks and valleys that complement each other really well i i was really impressed it, it's unlike any documentary i've ever watched before it it it's as powerful a narrative for being true as any based on real life or any i i was really impressed i this is i i, I don't want to call it entertaining because it, it's that seems voyeuristic and manipulative and but it was just it was compelling it was it 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 held my attention, I guess. I it, it just it was really cool. I I mean, who growing up in the nineties, I mean, who was bigger than Michael Jordan in my head? Nobody. Like just basketball being I never played it, I was always tall enough to and asked if I did. But the, Zeke knows the only time that we've ever 
done anything productive with basketball. I fucking <laughs> jacked my ankle up going for a three. We didn't need it. Didn't we were need it. beaten, these <laughs> fools. Do your job. Get under the basket. Lay it up. <laughs> no, I didn't know I was a center. That, that's, uh, <laughs> I appreciate you were, you were Nikola Jokic before his time. And I'm like, I'll throw up the three from back here. It's fine. <laughs> I can do it all. We didn't even need it. That was the thing. Yeah. But, like, I also think it's funny that you hurt your ankle. Yeah, no, coming down. I'm fine. Oh, yeah. I was like, I could have said, like, your wrist, or if it was like, oh, I was. No, you know, and I'm wearing to... low tops. I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. We were winning. Yeah. Center stay under the hoop. I was That's thinking about that. We were watching this. Mm-hmm. The basketball game is so hard on your entire body. It is. Mm-hmm. Every That's injury. the thing. Four years of high school lacrosse, full contact. No injuries. Mm-hmm. We're playing a pickup game of basketball. I twist my ankle and I'm limping for a month. It was yeah. fucking ridiculous. Straight to the, the urgent care, the, the uh-huh. hospital right after. I told my dad I thought I dislocated my ankle. He came and was like, you sprained your ankle. You don't know what you're talking about. That's happy. That makes me really happy to hear, not the injury, but <laughs> you know, all, all of the things before you, that you make me really happy. To the ER. He reminisces fondly. Yeah. And I'll plug, a, um, before turning it over to you, Scott, oh, I want to plug a quick, you guys know I like to do my IMDB dives and stuff Absolutely. before my movie. So a mm-hmm. uh, fun fact about the editing, right? This was a, a, um, originally just supposed to be a 30-minute PBS special. What the they fuck? They came in and they oh. were filming the... Um, the basketball court that the kids played on. It was just going to be a quick after-school special about a basketball court outside of wow, the really? Cabrini Green in Chicago. Yeah. And then the filmmakers were talking to um, Arthur and, and William and got to know them and learned about their family life and went home and, and said, okay, well, we want to focus in on this. Yeah. So filming for a 30-minute project turned into, obviously, five years of filming, right, from wow. before high school to um, through high school. And, so that uh, was before they had even gotten right, yeah. recruited. Right. Wow. So they were just like, okay, these kids are talented. We're it hearing just some fell buzz. Their lap. What it the did, fuck? yeah. And so they ended up with uh, 250 hours of footage. Holy and shit. And they were like, oh, okay, man. well, there goes the 30 minute thing. Let's Can I get that version? So there's the, if you're no, upset you at me about the three hour runtime, it was 250 <laughs> hours of filming. So appreciate that. <laughs> I don't want to hear. A lot of that is the rest of the interviews with people, but it's the rambling parts where they're happy to be in front of a camera and say nothing of importance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, you don't want the 250 hour version. <laughs> I promise you. <laughs> That's what you have a podcast for. <laughs> yeah, right. In the same way that you don't want to read the transcript of the entire court case, you know, you just want the law and order edit cut, <laughs> right? <laughs> dun, dun. Um, yeah. So, what were your um, first impressions? I mean, I loved it. I I really loved it. It's what a it's really up there. It's one of my favorite documentaries, actually. Nice. And I we talked about this a little bit post recording last month that. The more I've learned about data gathering and documentary methods and the way you present stories and and especially in terms of how hard it is to represent truth in its various forms during my sociology studies, you know, just starting with the way statistical data leaves gaps in reality and then Mm -hmm. moving on to other Mm -hmm. forms of media, I've, I've become less and less satisfied with documentaries that try to prove a point. Partly my own fault because, like, when they present something... I can shoot it full of holes on my couch. Mm-hmm. Or I can ask, well, how did you get that data? Or why'd you phrase it like that? And the documentary can't answer me. <laughs> you know, right. maybe it was it was perfectly legitimate and honest and portrayed as exactly as it could be, but the filmmakers can't hear me through the television. <laughs> 
and it Despite just our best efforts. Yes, <laughs> and it just becomes a frustrating experience for me. And then you know you have to go digging for the the making of online. You have to hope the info is available. You have to hope it's well documented itself. You have to try to sift bias through whoever's trying to answer your question. It, it's just it's it's exhausting and frustrating, and it never leaves me coming away with anything of. I won't say anything of value. There is some value to be had, of course, but with anything definitive. Like, the documentary sits down and says, we're going to teach you about blank. And at the end of it, I'm like, you didn't teach me shit. Mm. Like, you, you presented a case that I have no idea if it's true or not. Like, thanks. Whereas these, there was almost zero involvement from the filmmakers in their lives. I think That's we heard true, their voices yeah. for, like, a total of seven sentences. Right. And this sort of thing I've been going to appreciate much, much more. Because... I mean, you know, there's still room to twist things if they wanted to with the editing or what have you, but it's there's much less room for that, and it just feels a lot more hands-off, which is so much more satisfying. You know, it's, it's a lot more just, here's what we saw for what it's worth, here are the parts we think are important, you, you make up your own mind. And this was just four plus years of that yeah. for, you know, two kids in urban Chicago in the 90s. Great. I loved it. Yes. I'm happy again. I'm really glad you liked it. It's never as bad as we anticipate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless it's a That's West the tagline for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and to be fair, it is because I have preconceived notions. I'll admit it. No, it's fine. Yeah, how, how dare I you? enjoy that episode a lot because I'm like, did you like it? You're like, no. <laughs> dare you have preconceived notions and previous life experience? It's supposed to wipe your entire memory before every film. I mean, I always, I always, maybe, maybe someday I'll see a Wes Anderson film and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's the one for me. Right? Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll try. I'm, I'm open. I just. It's You're not going to like French Dispatch. The newest one is so not for you. <laughs> Which isn't out yet at time of recording, yeah, I want to no, say. No, it's definitely not. But I already know. <laughs> I, I know from where you So if, if we could transition into favorite like mm-hmm. secret. I love Spike showing up and yeah. telling... Spike Lee, uh-huh. yeah. He just... Pl- he, like, so young, first of all. And then he's telling... Basically, there's a, been this subtle thread the whole way through of like... This is manipulated events. The system it's doesn't care about kids. you, yeah. right? And, except for and your work. And then Spike comes sport. in and hammers it home, and <laughs> then they move literally. back to the subtle. Like it, it was just like a really great peak, at like the the crescendo of the film, where it's like you realize, right? This shit is as they're courting them for this this scouting, right? Like conference, basically, like. And Spike's like there to like for the white coaches to feel better about like playing lift service to like this is manipulated, but like. I really like that moment yeah. of it, just because it, it, it's so, it, it slices through all the bullshit about it, like, and they're talking, the dude who says it's like a meat trade, yeah. and I want to make sure I've got the best the cuts, best cuts. Yeah. man, it, that, that was just like, that, that further, like, solidified that. I was kind of surprised he wanted it. to say that to a camera. Right. right. Proudly, too. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, it's just a business. It, it it's slavery again. That's exactly. So like, are you going to be retired by the time this comes out, yeah. or <laughs> what? Yeah, There's a lot of you people in this movie, yeah, yeah. and I was like, well, ah. And a lot of that was probably filmed like early to even before the '90s. Oh, so yeah. it's like it's right. not like there's going to be a soundbite of that all over social media tomorrow. No. It's like right. who's going to see this? Right. You know. So it's like, yeah, I'll see what I want. This is for PBS, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, for the 3 a.m. PBS line, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. 
No, the, the Spike Lee yeah. cameo. The part. Spike Lee part is great. And there's, um, I want to dig into how influenced by Hoop Dreams was Spike was when he made He Got Game. Because mm. there's, I mean, a ton of parallels there about sleazy recruiters. Mm. Um, the, the scene where Arthur and his dad are playing one-on-one and it gets oh, really, man. really tense. Yeah. Um, that's another favorite, that's probably a favorite scene for me from this movie, but there's a one-on-one scene with Denzel and Ray Allen and he got game that feels like Spike was like, oh, okay, let's, let's do that. Yeah. But yeah, really intense. I mean, so there's, you know, there's a lot. And I think that just goes to your point about this. It's hard to write this real life documentary because you have the sleazy recruiters, you have the tension between, um, you know, the leads and their parents. You have two great leads who feel yeah. like they're deep characters that were written and thought about. Um, you know, you a brother who almost made it but didn't, so he's living vicariously. A father who's doing the same thing. Family drama. All these things that you would think, okay, let me write a basketball movie about someone who wants to be in the NBA. You'd write them, but seeing that as a movie, right, it doesn't hit you as naturally, I don't think, as as this does because that's, it's real people. That's the thing in the Hollywood written version of this, they would both be in the finals, right, fighting yeah, each and, other uh-huh. from both ends, right. and then you and don't the, see the end. Yeah. Like and the parallel, I, I mean. You know, you don't really see William and Arthur cross paths right. except for until that very yeah. end point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that. I really like that moment though. Yeah. It's like yeah. that that hug right. meant a lot, and it, it was something that like it felt like two different worlds, but it's essentially it's the same world. Just one got the scholarship, one got the help of the wealthy lady who I'm sure said the N word when they interviewed her. Like, they, like they, when, when they cut her interview, I was like, that bitch just said something offensive. Like, I, there's a really hard cut right. when they first introduce her and like, I don't like that. Yeah. But like, they paid for his surgery and that was the thing. Like, they poked holes in that kid. Yeah. I mean, Will just, uh and you you see the surgery and stuff like that. That's really intense. Oh, you ruined it! I was gonna say that was my favorite scene. Oh, sorry. Ah, as a as a joke. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, like I like that they really got there. And, and you, you get to see the stuff they pulled out of it. Oh, oh. God. Yeah. They got some releases for this. I don't know how PBS could pull like right. that. Just. Mom can't even be in the the, the emergency room. <laughs> We're only a, a camera and our crew in here. We're yeah. filming your surgery. Yeah, deal with it. <laughs> yeah, that's and that gets trickier with that they weren't eighteen when they started. Right. So you only need the permission of the parents, mm-hmm. but then once they are, you need theirs, but not the mm-hmm. parents anymore. Right. And then, depending on the laws at the time. I guess for the medical procedure, you might have also or only needed the permission of the bill pair, uh-huh. depending. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, don't know enough about that, but uh, some of the legal protections we talk about are remarkably young, mm. especially when it comes to children. So, who knows? Right. What was your, your favorite scene then, Tim? Oh, I think my actual, like, I mean, it was another, like, bittersweet scene that kind of not not hit home in a in a more like literal way, but the one where um, I think it was Arthur, right? The Arthur when was the, the recruiter who got kicked out of the fancy school. Yes, when the recruiter mm-hmm. was at his house, and the dad was there, and, mm-hmm. and it's just like you know, and they're kind of like, you know, if you sign this, you're gonna go for free, but you don't have to go yeah. for free, and and just like that, you, it was, yeah, right. There was that we'll sudden sign. moment of like, yeah, it's just like. 
Just even like, these parents, like, even now, <clears throat> they're telling him, yeah. like, we'll make it work. Yeah. Because we want your happiness is more important. Yeah, and you could see that that the conflict of <laughs> like, just like he was but, not buying it. Yeah, you know? it's like also I, I can't. Like, you know, well, I was just going to say, again, yeah, like, yeah, they're the both in the house. They don't really say them. why. Yeah. It's just kind of like, oh, like I mean, because they were separated before, because he was beating her and right. was addicted to crack and in like, jail. <laughs> and, yeah, and they said against his wishes, right? The, the mom's invited yes. the dad yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. He didn't want so you can him. see the tension of like, okay, I'm making a big life decision, and this guy's here telling me, yeah. and I, you know, treats my mom bad. I haven't seen him in a while. We're on and off. Like, and I have to sit here and decide my future with him. Yeah. like it's just a rough scene yeah well, and, and the part too like when when he's like oh don't worry we'll take care of it and even the mom's kind of like <laughs> that look like you know weak. yeah we oh, yeah right and you could see that that was part of it like here's the dad going oh follow your dreams and he's like yeah and my mom's gonna pay for it because you're not gonna be in the picture and you know right. and it was just kind of like okay I'll, I'll i'll do the right thing you know it was just like fuck man like that's <laughs> like there's so Art is so uncomfortable the whole movie. I feel like anytime he's like in class and somebody at calls on him or like whenever he's like talking to the camera, he doesn't want to look at it. Right. He just just that was an interesting part of like anything filmed becomes affected by being filmed. So it would have been I would have liked to see him like not a, with the camera on him. Yeah. I mean, if that's it, impossible, but yeah, like to yeah. see that other side of him where he seemed to like when he was playing you you i feel like you got to see a genuine like how he he felt natural in that environment yeah and that that was really distinct from in the classroom with his parents and with his dad mm -hmm. especially in that one-on-one -on -one scene right if i can springboard off of that yeah, i think sure. another of my favorite scenes is um, you know, after Arthur wins state, and then after he wins the or after he wins city, and after he wins the first round of state, um, and he's just elated, and you know, you can tell he's just he doesn't care that the cameras are there. He's smiling, why he's hugging everybody. I think just seeing him so happy is probably another favorite scene because it didn't feel like he was being watched and reacting as he would, you know, like he was thinking about it because the camera was there. It's just pure, unadulterated, you know, or adrenaline turned to joy. So. I'll mark that down as another favorite. Mm, yeah. Noted. <laughs> Thank you. What about you, Scott? One of the most satisfying was the last conversation between the rich school coach and William, right? And William, when William's figured it out. Yeah. And, you know, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, I'll take communication, so I know how to refuse you when you ask me for donations, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that was so great. Right? Like, that was, and the that coach was just sat there and, like, refused to even engage with him. He was him. already done. Oh, yeah. He was already yeah, checked done. out. Yeah. But it was nice, at least, to see William get yeah. that. And it's like, that's what he learned from Jabbering. Yeah. <laughs> and it was nice to see Arthur's team make it. It was nice to see William and Arthur come together again. Yeah. And, yeah. like, be happy for each other. Yeah. Just another, another reminder, and there were many, that life continued outside the documentary right. in so many ways, right? Arthur was back in that fancy school, and there were so many people who... Remembered him. Not even remembered him, but seemed like they just saw him a couple months ago or yeah, something. Right. Like, that's, on the playground, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just oh, oh hey man yeah cool how you been like that was that was so nice you know that the whatever enmity there may or may not have been wasn't personal between these students just was such a nice they're all dealing with the same shit mm -hmm. in different ways and from different directions I like that I like yeah. that a lot mm -hmm. to touch a little on that actually it at least in terms of basketball it almost feels like Arthur got the better deal. Because he continued to enjoy it yeah. as something that enriched his life, and for William it became work, and yeah, right. and you know horrible. And I, it has me wondering, 
of this is this is a very strange topic change, but you all remember the Tony Hawk video games? Yeah, oh, of right. Course, yeah. They made the first Tony Hawk's Underground. It's a similar story. Your your main character is this poor kid from New Jersey right. who make, gets his break and makes it big. And as things grow and he gets more and more successful, his problems grow too. And the last chapter of the story is him reconnecting with one of the greats, Stacy Peralta, who just run in a little skate shop in New Jersey. <laughs> and like he talks to him and reconnects about like, dude, wait, yeah, why did I start doing this? This is supposed to be fun. Because I liked yeah. it. Right, that was the point. And so just that you know incredibly fictionalized video game story right. reminded me vividly of the two separate journeys of these boys in this documentary or vice versa the yeah. documentary reminded me of that because the the one who it sort of it stopped being all about what's next what's your future you're gonna make it big gotta go professional and just became yeah you're in school and you're really talented and we want you to just play the game and have fun you know he got more out of basketball than William did mm-hmm. and I mean of course the fact that he ended up you know, also academically successful. I mean, all, the stars have to align in so many ways, and all of that could have gone very differently. But at least with regard to the sport, you know, William's last words in the documentary were, "This is work now, and I I could stop playing basketball and yeah. still have a happy life," I mean, which was to... unthinkable to fourteen-year-old him. Right. Whereas you know, for Arthur, it was yeah, brought a smile to his face. And you you, you kind of got that you that develops because he has that conversation with his girlfriend. Um, about for me this is my ticket out like it it has to be and you never really got that sense until the very end with Arthur because he has that conversation about after he gets mugged he's like I gotta get the fuck out of here but before that he he didn't it wasn't so much an escape as into the NBA and go on like he had that thought but it wasn't like it was an escape but you know just a a thing you could do to pass the time right And, and that's the thing like that William did get his his ticket out but he didn't enjoy it right uh you know arthur kept enjoying it but yeah things could have gone very differently for him yeah mm-hmm. on the flip side of that thinking about the ceiling that each one reached i think yeah. i was thinking about the floor right and so you know william has an injury you know boosters are paying for the surgery or it's covered by the school's insurance if arthur has an injury at the public school he's fucked he's mm-hmm. fucked that's yeah, devastating exactly. so i you know i there's no safety yeah. net. It's just interesting to think about those two parallels, right? And just so similar in so many ways, but so very different in their outcomes or yeah. how things would and be And when different. Arthur got robbed at gunpoint, mm-hmm. I, that could have been the end of his life right, right. there. That's the thing. In they more ways they than one. cut to him. They're like, he was mugged. And then it, it lingers for a little bit. Like, you don't know mm-hmm. how that plays and out. it struck me that, I mean, as far as we know, William continued to live in his poor neighborhood and continued to face those same day-to-day realities as Arthur. Mm. But the documentary just kind of stopped showing it. Right. They started focusing more on his interactions with money, right. with the other end of things. But I mean, he went to the, the, where the players recover. Like, yeah. His, his, yeah. But in theory, he was facing similar problems when he walked yeah, he down the street every day. Yeah, every exactly. Day. They wouldn't release his fucking transcripts for right. Arthur. That was so shitty. Like a high school, too. You yeah. know, I mean, I... Ugh. And there's always that, that weird, you know... Like, well, you're paying, you paid us for the service, but you didn't pay us, so you don't get the service. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, colleges have managed because they've always had this sort of optional, semi-optional status, right? But high school... Yeah. Uh, 
and again, I not always in all of American history, but especially in the latter half of the 1900s, high school was mandatory, you know? Yeah. Your chances for life without high school became smaller and smaller and smaller. This is an interesting early commentary, I think, on high school sports in America and that mm-hmm. rise to professionalism. Because you think about, even here in Colorado, a lot of the top athletic schools, you know, it's... 30, 40, 50 thousand dollars a year for tuition for mm-hmm. students. Cherry Creek. Um, Cherry Creek, Valor, you know, Regis, all those top even. ones, Regis, Mullen, yeah. And they've got um, you know, they're always in the championship every year. They've Is got they've got coaches that they pay so much money mm-hmm. and that the coaches that are either like former collegiate coaches or former pro athletes that they mm-hmm. can pay and bring in. They're recruiting young, they're recruiting across the state, across other states, and it just... And it's a really distasteful extension yeah. of the academic side of that, because, mm-hmm. you know, the whole, like, it's not just, like, get your high school diploma and be okay, it's get really excellent grades, specifically so that you can get into college. Mm-hmm. So, for the high schools to also take the approach of, well, what about if instead of grades you wanted to just get into college on sports... Well, crap, now we have to make sure that the students can excel at sports so they get noticed, and then that comes with all this baggage. Mm-hmm. All these hoops high schools have to jump through and I mean, put their students through. about middle school at, in, this early, like, and, right. yeah, the, those scouting, I know in lacrosse it was a big scouting thing, like, mm-hmm. Regis would have camps, and then they would pick and choose, like, it was free to come to the camp, and then they had their pick of the litter with the next season oh oh you're in middle school you're coming up next year let's pull you in over here and get you tuition and yeah it's what was it a couple years ago wasn't it um a lacrosse college recruited like a sixth grader for the first time wasn't that a thing and it was like you know unprecedented going too young Mm -hmm. yeah it's just a a series of like you got to prepare to prepare right and it was happening more academically at my schools you know the the middle schools there was always those kids doing 16 extracurriculars Mm -hmm. Because they knew that the further back that stretched, the better it would look on the college mm-hmm. to college applications, mm-hmm. and the more it would boost them to get in. And then academically, when they you know both arrive at St. Joe's together, and um, you know they, they say that they're both at a fourth or fifth grade level, yeah. you know, that <laughs> in so few words frames so much about yeah. different environments and and private schools, public schools, all that stuff. Yeah. I think, um, so one question I had, I think I misremembered how much of a focus Cabrini Green was. Mm-hmm. I thought that was more of a focus, but it's really just like the a same. flash at the beginning, hey, here's where they live. You know, things happen, like there's drug deals or there's, you know, yeah. muggings, We get our most like exposure that. to it through Arthur. Right. But and, I don't know. I mean, did you guys have any expectations about how much that would factor in or... Um, I don't know, what were, what were your thoughts on how that was covered? I mean, because the, the academic side of things, like I said, right, they arrive at the private school, they're at a fourth or fifth grade level, that tells you all you need to know. They don't need to dwell on it. They just show you, you know, here's what they're... So do you think it did a good enough job of describing their home life without being a whole documentary on Cabrini Green? It's crazy. Like, just through contrast, you got a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the commentary. That, and I was thinking of, like, Key and Peele sketches where they talk about the school system and they have like, when they do uh, the Clortho versus Hogwarts, yeah. which <laughs> yeah. like the inner city school versus like, right. it, it, it definitely seemed like that was what they were playing off of was mm-hmm. portrayals like this, where mm-hmm. you have one kind of clean, quiet, 
serene hallway, and then you have the inner city school, and it's it's not that at all. Right. And like, I, it didn't really. I think it did a good job of like showing it, but not really commenting yeah. on it, really. Yeah. But it, it doesn't show it all that much. It is much more. I agree that, on the... like you said, Zeke, about it, it showed what they could without becoming a documentary about that right. instead. Right. Yeah. That's true. And you get a lot of it through Arthur's dad. That mm. that's kind of yeah. the the that narrative and that arc. It created this the the time jumps and the focus on Arthur created this sense of. Well, like I said, even when he gets robbed, it just you come back and suddenly, oh yeah, he was robbed like two days ago. Yeah, it's what? crazy. Like, wait, he was because yeah, it just this stuff happens. Life, the world doesn't stop moving when you stop looking at it, and these neighborhoods don't stop moving when you stop looking at them or get better. You know, like it's well said. You just it's a day to day reality. For like everyone. you mentioned the the contrast too, right? On the early, you know, we're going to take you to check out this um, private school, and he's mentioning, oh, look at how the yards look. Look at you know these different basic things that you didn't get to mm-hmm. see in his in his neighborhood i think yeah. that's just a you know gentle but forceful way of pointing those things out it, that was just reminding me of when um william goes and is looking at the different colleges mm-hmm. that's always so sleazy with the sending him a million things and then recording like hypothetical <laughs> highlights from a game that's never happened right. like newspapers with his name and newspapers uh-huh. and stuff but when he comes back and he talks to some of the instructors, they do it in a really kind of microaggressive way. But he, they're actually concerned about like what is the the uh, atmosphere on campus like? Does it feel like yeah. you would be comfortable there? And they they don't say that was it. like the most awkward conversation. But his intentions were so right. Good. It was totally like right. trying to look out for him and making sure that it was an environment that he could be comfortable in and thrive and didn't yeah. feel like this racial divide was asking like did you connect to the the black leaders on campus or he didn't say that way like leading blacks or whatever i don't know and like it was really weird back and forth with william trying to figure out what the hell are you asking and like finally he came down on like did the black people you talk to on campus say what life is like for them on campus day to day was what he was trying to get at and they finally got there yeah and william was like oh like i mean yeah they said they treated all right as long as they play you know and that was that was just an interesting little like that nurture versus there was a certain amount of nurturing that that school did mm-hmm. and it just it when it came to sports it was just like you're a tool you're a means to an end and once and you're even done there for, you're, there was so much contrast between the private school coach and the private school teachers yeah because the teachers yeah. were looking out for him yeah i mean who gets five points anyway. of the act yeah i mean that's a that's a it, that's an exam that costs money like somebody's paying for that they had we gotta hit, hook you up with a course in the, the summer like they they took care of the academic part of it like it just uh, yeah. it's hard yeah another question I had for you guys about the focus was um, we've touched on it a lot but with it being a documentary that focuses on things that seem like you couldn't have written them, right? Just all these different yeah. characters and plot twists and things that are just natural and not written. I mean, do you think there were things that um, that a documentary lent itself to that did well? Or do you think there are things that, you know, it, it might have come across better if it was a traditional movie? I mean, it, to be honest, I think it is kind of like there's ups and downs, but it's pretty level throughout. And I think a movie would have really up the ups and load the lows and um i don't know so i was just curious about what you guys thought about the documentary as a way to deliver this or you know compared to like let's do a a biopic about these two guys right 
I mean, I'd watch the biopic. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah, I'd, I'd watch it, but I, this was, you know, the documentary, as I said, what I like about it was that it just presents right. what is as what is, mm-hmm. and that's going to naturally flatten the film a bit. That's so. true. Like you said, I mean, there's ways to edit and cut documentaries that push and their editing did make you right you know it punched things up a lot without right. as far as i can tell Being without altering the truth too much yeah there was that great true. moment with whatever was going on in william school world at the rich school they were they were counting something mm-hmm. one two three four and then they cut away to arthur cutting slices at the pizza place mm-hmm. one two three four strokes yeah. and it was like oh beautiful <laughs> that was great you know and the connection was excellent even if what was actually happening was just then they said oh yeah Arthur's working at the Pizza Hut oh and then they cut away to the next scene like <laughs> right. I did that with a championship game where it was live footage and then they pulled back to um the televised yeah, mm-hmm. and then yeah. watching yeah. what'd you think Tim like of the medium I mean I don't know like how many like what documentaries do you like to watch like how does this compare to those or I can't. I can't remember a lot of documentaries that I've seen. Probably one of the ones which is <clears throat> interesting because I feel like it fits right into what we we're talking about is the the Pollock documentary, oh, okay. where that was one of the big things was how him being observed actually right. altered what he was yeah. doing mm-hmm. because the director was trying to direct him when mm-hmm. he was painting. Um, Make it look interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's just like what? What? Is, this is what I do. This is how this happens. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, Nowadays, documentarians spend a lot of time trying to learn how to minimize that effect of mm-hmm. right. just the fact that a camera is present. This is no longer normal life. Like, yeah. sorry, mm-hmm. it isn't. It just can't be. Yeah. If the camera were invisible and you didn't tell them it was happening, that's the only way you could get there. Right. But they consent and cameras aren't invisible. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. whoops. Yeah. Like, so they spend a lot of time yeah. learning how to try to mitigate that as best they can. But, yeah. of course, again, that's not something documentarians were concerned with for a long time yeah well i feel like and that's why a lot of uh, i mean I, I know this is a fake show but i feel like with the office the fact that it was like nine years of filming a documentary i feel like that's almost what you would have to do and you know maybe this is also you know a better example because it's real like if you have these cameras in your life for years as right, opposed yeah. to like with with pollock i think it was probably like okay we're gonna do this thing real quick I, I don't remember exactly what the timeline was, but I could see it being just within a year. Right. You know, like, we're going to come in, we're going to do this thing and get this shot of this, and that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. But also, like, I didn't feel like the cameras were living with him as much, um, where he had a chance to become so comfortable that he forgot they were there, which I feel like that's kind of, I feel like, the impression you get with The Office. And I feel like that was an interesting way that they did that, that it just became part of life. And, you know... Maybe not so much with this one because, yeah, like as we were saying, like Arthur still always feels uncomfortable yeah. talking to the camera. Um, and, and actually another one was the My Kid Can Paint That, which is kind of like in the lineage of like, you know, the Pollock documentary where it's like, you know, oh, here's this little girl who's doing these paintings. We think they're great, but oh, wait, we think it's actually her father helping her. Well, wait, we're going to film it to see what happens. Well, now she won't do it because she's being filmed. You know, and it was just like, you know, yeah, it, it kind of just almost became a documentary about documentaries in that sense yeah. that it was really just focused on that part of it i think most of the only other documentaries i've seen are a lot a few of the uh uh um 
Michael Moore films, which I feel mm-hmm. like Scott gets into what you were saying earlier about, right. you know, you can tell certain things are edited yeah, not to, to elicit you know, a certain Not to try to argue that all documentaries like that are false. <laughs> you know, I just... No, like, but but yeah, I remember there was one scene Michael in Bowling Moore for... Michael has an opinion. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, I, and I remember watching uh, Roger and Me and feeling like it was maybe, and again, this is a long time ago, but I feel like that was a little bit more of a presentation of... of facts and events whereas with Bowling for Columbine I remember watching one part of it and realizing like it was set up where it was like this thing happened this thing happened then they were filming his reaction to it as if it was happening immediately after but I was like well wait a minute the angle for the shot before that was over here so the angle they're filming him from right now the other camera would be in this shot Mm -hmm. so you could tell it was like reposition but okay we want to get a shot of you looking at um, uh, uh, Charlton Heston walking away all sad like oh why won't you here I'm going to put this picture of this little girl here you know and it was just like it it, it, it was just so staged and it was like yeah like this isn't like what's actually happening here like they're they're directing this they're manipulating this so um, and the question of course is always how much are they manipulating it to what to what end right. and how much is acceptable and how much isn't is you know and which is of course everyone has a different opinion about where that line is you know mm-hmm. if if they shot somebody and at the end the person like looks sad and you can like almost hear their voice waver but the first time they did it a car drove by and you lost the voice waver mm-hmm. like but that really happened and they're like can we just get that again like is that acceptable is it not mm-hmm. like yeah. it happened and they really wanted to show it but they didn't think you'd trust if they just told you did you hear that did you hear her voice you know like how because then they're just trying to show the truth but they missed the first time mm-hmm. wait how how much is acceptable and how much isn't yeah but that's a good uh good point um to my eighth grade class where i first seventh or eighth where i first saw this we also watched bowling for columbine okay. mm. um, also citizen kane bowling for columbine Denver doesn't fuck around man no, they, what the hell this was maury you said no uh, maury maury yeah. that's right sorry and right downtown inner city they wanted to get us hardened and ready <laughs> yeah <laughs> through movies through film be like you're also going to high school you'll probably get shot so we're gonna watch bowling for columbine <laughs> <laughs> So watched. I mean, so it's interesting to think about that, and then to think about this one as two that were presented to us. And yeah. I don't think at two the time I had enough. Coin. Yeah. Right. I don't think I had enough wisdom or smarts or had seen enough documentaries to think that okay, this one is doing this and this one's doing right. that. Mm-hmm. I probably just took them both at face value. As I say, like documentaries are like it's nonfiction mm-hmm. fact, right? Like, right. That's how you think about it. Yeah, it's like yeah. this. This is based on real stuff. Right. And I'm. I'm, I hope really anyway early. that the Damn. teachers like walked us through that. I'm mm-hmm. sure they did. I don't remember. I can't <laughs> Which remember is not much. a good sign. <laughs> remember the remember you, watched. Watched. you had exactly. just watched Bowling for Columbine. How are you processing <laughs> exactly. anything at that time? <laughs> yeah. Also watching that in middle school in Colorado, like right. that's a little that's, yeah. yeah. I remember we had to get a waiver sign for no sure. No kidding. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You've been sleeping on the, the you like I don't know if I've seen all those that many uh important films to, to like film history watch them all in middle school <laughs> got that out of my system just been watching yeah. junk ever since <laughs> <laughs> my eyes my eyes more happy Gilmore <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, so I had another I mean I can plug just to keep rolling with the documentaries please. thing and to plug an IMDB fact um, this one was uh, I mean when it came out like Ebert and uh, would it have been Siskel or Roper at the time 
Uh, I feel like this sequel. I think it was kind of recent that that um, that he died. Right. So probably back then it probably Siskel. would have been Oh yeah, Siskel. no, I mean yeah. Okay. So yeah, so Siskel and Ebert were big fans. Um, we're pretty. You watch them talk about stuff, though, like <laughs> the things that they think are cool. <laughs> sorry, that's no, fair. This is a caveat. No, that's. I'm <laughs> sorry. <laughs> or, uh, not a caveat, but an approach to an important thing. Sorry. Um, they also like the sweaters. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the leather on those shoulders? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta listen to these guys. <laughs> Biggest dorks in all. <laughs> but they were they were fans of this one, mm-hmm. and um, they were upset that it was snubbed at the. Um, at the Oscars for best documentary, mm-hmm. uh, it did As get in, a nod for best editing. But I was interested mm-hmm. in reading up about the the process at the time for selecting best documentary. So they would have a documentary committee, who were typically volunteers. Um, they'd sit around and just you know stream all of the all of documentaries, sit down together and watch them. But the way they did it, uh, they would each have a flashlight, and they'd sit there. And once you were done with a movie or over it or didn't weren't a fan, you'd pull out your flashlight and shine it on the screen. And once a majority of people did that, they just cut the movie off. And so Hoop Dreams didn't make it even 20 minutes oh, in, the, in the Oscar fuck? screening. And so, you know, so as, as much as, right, like, I, I'm, on, I'm on Ebert's side for this it's one because he was like, that's bullshit. Yeah, and Everything it, about it. The was another... is huge, right? The number of members is, mm-hmm. is massive. This isn't right. some committee of 10 people in a dark room. Right. This is thousands of people, maybe mm-hmm. hundreds. I, the point is that, you know, when they do studies like oh yeah only this many this much percent of the oscar you know the academy actually saw all of the best picture nominees right. this year it's like well yeah because on the one hand that's so many people who also have real jobs in the meantime mm-hmm. you know who can't necessarily clear their schedules to watch all of those like you or i can't just regular people like it sorry this isn't a, an academy history podcast but oh, i mean i i don't yeah. know i think but then I'm who, not convinced who, that that's not still how they do things. Like, <laughs> it feels like it sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And then the voting from there. So once they did watch them all and got to score them, at the time they'd score them from 0 to 10. And so there was a certain, like a small group of that committee who would pick their five favorites and give them 10s and give everything else a 0. So it really skewed the voting, right? Because yeah. there was, there was um, and they didn't say which one in, the, in what I was reading, but um, it said that one movie received a, a huge number of tens but it also received all zeros from that group and that was enough to move it to sixth place and knock it out of contention mm. um so I, you know just wanted to plug that hoop dreams is important for how documentaries are um viewed yeah. and screened now and scored now for you know for the oscars for the award process mm. um, not really yeah. much of a convo after that just wanted to plug that fun fact <laughs> well did it say who won like which documentary did can, win yeah i'll look um i did not look at that Please. Again, yeah. my favorite part of the podcast. Yeah. Well, cause, like, <laughs> Waiting part of what, for things to be Googled. Yeah. Well, because part of what I was wondering, too, is like, I mean, I guess it's also different where it's like, oh, it's this garbage documentary versus, oh, well, it was this. Oh, well, okay, I understand that that one won. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, granted, it doesn't say anything about the method in which it's chosen. You, you could know. teach an entire class just on Academy Award winners of things. Like, if you ever just go through the Best Picture winners for the past 30 years... It's so amazing, like, the things we thought were important at the time but have forgotten about now, or, you know, vice versa, or one year they give it to the most entertaining film, but one year they give it to the most artistic, but one year they give it to the most socially important, because Mm -hmm. people's minds changed so much, and 
it's especially now that I'm getting old enough to have a real meat of films to look through that I remember, as opposed to, you know, films from before I was born. It's really funny to reread some of those lists, go, huh? oh yeah, I agreed with that decision so much when that happened that year, but I forgot this winner existed. Because, like, at the time, it just felt right, right. even though there's no more state in power anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Shakespeare in Love is one of the big <laughs> big offenders uh, really? that people mentioned. That was, that's the Best Picture winner. What? Oh, yeah. I mean, I enjoyed that film, but what? And at the time, it just blew people up. If you look at all, any, any media coverage, any, you know, random dude yelling on the street coverage, it was the thing. But almost as soon as the Oscars ended, its importance ended. Mm-hmm. And no one talks about that when they're talking about important films of that year. So the answer is um, Maya Lin, A Strong, Clear Vision. And it says, a documentary film about the life of American artist Maya Lin, whose best-known work is the Vietnam Veterans Memorial in Washington, D.C. Oh, so okay. Seems like a good one. Mm-hmm. I'd like to watch that. So not a knock against what did win, but definitely, yeah. like, if you're going to yeah. watch 20 minutes, not even 20 minutes, right. of a, of a three-hour movie because people start shining flashlights, like, maybe that's not the best way to yeah. pick something. Like, especially, like, a volunteer <laughs> committee. Show. Like, that's <laughs> be, what... Like, I mean, you, you should know what you're yeah, in for, right? right? Just watch the movie. Yeah. I don't know how the campaigning process was back then, but, like... Right. I was sitting in a room and watched documentaries all day. Like, <laughs> right. And yeah. then get to judge them afterwards? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to be in an air-conditioned room downtown judging people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back to we the office. Yeah, that you know, oh, so good. <laughs> It's also, like, an interesting, like, the mockumentary. Mm. Like, I kept thinking of, like, I really want the documentary now version of I thought that would be ready. Like, just because, I I mean, that's essentially how I got into documentaries was through documentary now. It's like, these are really funny, and they're getting at something that I recognize is, like, what the documentary is and what it does. Like, that the personality of it. Go ahead. I want the, the documentary now version to be about curling. Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. I am in. Oh, somebody gets like a wrist injury and yeah. they can't sweep. Yeah, oh yeah. yes. Uh, uh, you're basically talking about the Simpsons curling episode. Is that Except it's a documentary already? element. <laughs> yeah. But like, uh, what was I saying? The parody type documentary of that got into documentary. Oh, just with the the Office, you kind of like. At the end, you kind of get the sense that like. You forget about the crew, you forget about the crew, and then, oh, wait, the crew's here, and they're smacking people with... But mm-hmm. you watched, like, you're in the room with Jim at, in Florida as the girl's trying to seduce him. Like, you're okay with capturing that shit? Like, <laughs> th- there's just this, like, you willfully suspend your disbelief after a certain amount of time because that Michael stops talking to the camera like he's excited about it. Like, you get the, the talking heads and that kind of stuff, but it kind of melts into the background until they need it for reasons like yeah. plot reasons but that's just an interesting thing like it, it in some ways what it's creating as a narrative in the office is what a documentary should strive to be is in the background as the story unfolds without any impact but yeah not really a point just talking about the office again <laughs> <laughs> what was your earliest documentary that you can recall like, what were your first experiences with this boring thing that's not as fun as my Disney video? Take? I was thinking about it when right. you were talking about middle school. Because, and, as I'm sorry, but like you have yeah. that whole, especially as a kid, you have to overcome the boredom of real life, I guess, mm-hmm. to make your kid watch a movie that's a documentary that's not fun. And so I'm thinking about, like, more broadly, I guess, what your, your initial interactions with documentaries were. So in my middle school band class, our band director was out of 
we had a substitute and they put on a movie, right? But it was a documentary about KFC. What? And it was amazing because you like watched the, the colonel like lose his business essentially. Like, he mm-hmm. sold it off to make a bunch of money, but it wasn't all that much money. And they franchised it out. And then he was talking. The thing I remember most vividly was him complaining about the quality of the mashed potatoes after he sold it because he said it tastes like wallpaper paste. This is like real, like sixth grade band dark room watching and I don't even think we started it from the beginning I think we were like halfway through it because oh, nobody rewound the, the tape from the last time it was watched that's my first like yeah earliest memory of it it's like oh this is it's like history channel type documentary where it's like it's trying to teach you something and it yeah. was this historical fi- figure and I don't know Tim what would be do you I, don't know. I mean or just I, if you can't pinpoint a film then more generally you're you know your first introductions to documentary yeah probably it might be roger and me Mm -hmm. which i think was even like well that's the thing too is like you know my my i don't think i mean i'm trying to think of any instances in school where they would have shown us Mm -hmm. a documentary and none that i can i mean maybe like an educational video but not something that's necessarily like a quote-unquote real film more of just like you know like Oh, here's here's some thing some asshole video, videotaped himself talking about. Watch this, so you'll learn a lesson about something. YouTube, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, probably Roger and Meeks. I think that was, and that that was like in my blockbuster days too. And you know, because I was, that, I think that was also part of it too. That you know, okay, you're you're out of college and you're working at Blockbuster with a bunch of other people who also want to be in quote unquote the movie industry in some way and this is the closest we can get to it for right now so let's pretend we're really serious movie watchers and watch all these things plus um i think it was uh i'm trying to think because it might have i may actually may have came to may have come to roger and me second because i feel like i know it was you know while i was there was also around 9-11 and then when he did the uh what was the 9-11 documentary he did was it Fahrenheit Fahrenheit, Fahrenheit 9-11 yeah. yeah so like th- that definitely subtle you know had, yeah had kind yeah. of kicked back to okay well these other things but but no I feel like I so, all right so maybe I did see Bowling for Columbine first because maybe that was newer mm. and then went back to Roger and me and then when Fahrenheit 9-11 came out and I think that was the one where I was just like yeah, this isn't you reporting facts. This is definitely you kind of giving your take on things. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I really cooled on him. Um, but, um, yeah, but it was, so it was definitely at the point where I, as a young adult, was, like, seeking them out for that sort of more, you know, deeper, like, okay, yeah, it's nice to have films that are kind of inspiring and metaphorical and stuff, but, you know, let's dig into this nitty-gritty of stuff. And um, I don't know that I would ever say that I, like, oh, I enjoy documentaries i really feel like it has to depend on the content you know like i wouldn't just start watching a bunch of documentaries just because they're documentaries it would have to be like well oh this is about this that's a thing i care about i will watch it you know uh, as opposed to a sense like this where yeah. someone says we're gonna make you watch this <laughs> sorry <laughs> but no 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 but that's you know that's and that's fine too i mean that's the purpose of it and i you know like i said i liked it but but i wouldn't you know i'm not gonna go start seeking out a bunch of other basketball documentaries mm-hmm. now because i like this one or even other documentaries until like i said it's something that is more yeah, it's gotta be a topic in. you're already interested in right yeah which is why i watched like the pollock documentary and the you know my kid can paint that i all feel those like you would things. really like king of kong like that's the one about the donkey kong 
Oh, okay. Yeah, that one is really good. Actually, the entire thing, as of a couple months ago, was still up on YouTube. Okay. Like, and not like you know, secretly. Like it was Mm -hmm. just placed there on purpose for viewing. You know. Although I don't know if you accessible. If you consider, I've been watching the show on Netflix, Abstract. Yeah, that's definitely a docu series. Yeah, so that's that's definitely cool. I like that. But again, like part of it is not. Again, it's not necessarily that I'm interested so much in what those things are about, but they're definitely like inspiring because I think a lot of what they're doing is they're focusing on people who are doing these uh, these things we take for granted. You know, like one one of them is about like creating fonts. You know, one of them yeah. one we just watched was like about this guy who's like this architect who's doing these different designs and you know, so it's like you know, again, even though like I'm not into architecture specifically and it was really kind of cool watching that one especially because it was definitely bringing up the the fountainhead a lot because i you know i love that book again not because i'm interested in architecture but i saw howard rourke being an architect as a parallel for like being a composer you know that type of thing um so so those are those are definitely interesting so i guess those are another thing but um but again yeah it's it's they're they're all about these creative things it's about people who are kind of these you know like forerunners on kind of like oh here's this thing that you're kind of used to well i'm you know i'm the sort of this expert in this field that's doing things completely different it's like yeah yeah it's it's cool and it's Mm -hmm. innovative and all this stuff and um but they're about like drastically different things and um and it is kind of cool like i think also focusing on uh the people and the type of people they are to kind of go to that thing um and i think it also helps that they're they're current they're newer um I don't know that I would enjoy a documentary about people doing those type of things 50 years ago that now we take for granted, like those things that, yeah, like, oh, that's cool that 50 years ago you were the first person to do this, but now that thing has been around for 50 years since before I was born, so I take it for granted and I'm not as interested. Whereas this, it's like, oh my God, like I never would have thought to make a building like that. Yes, that's adding information to my brain about how to think of things, you know. Um, So maybe, yeah, maybe that's sort of part of it is it has to be a new way to look at something and as we'll use the word before kind of stuck in my, as a springboard to something mm-hmm. not like oh this is something that already happened that i'm learning about this is something that can kind of move me forward about kind of where we're at and where we're headed kind of thing mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah what about you scott what would have been your first my first actual documentary was also in middle school band class uh, but more My middle school sucked. More, more broadly, like when I was little, I had all kinds of those cool, you know, series of video cassettes about this is all about fire departments, and this one's all about you know airplanes, and this one, and those like those definitely made me not averse to real world watching. But it was almost all television for some reason for a long time. It was just TV specials or documentaries, Discovery Channel, whatever. Do you guys remember the Eyewitness? Yeah. Series of videos like they used to have the books in the library and i yeah. used to get the one that was spy and it had all james bond's <laughs> like gadgets right. and stuff and it's like pictures and labels of like the different aspects of it but like yeah. they did a movie or like a, a video series where it was like sharks or volcanoes yeah. or, like that might have been my first introduction to sure. it i'm thinking God, and i just I, for whatever reason documentaries as film weren't accessible to me mm-hmm. i don't know if my parents just didn't care and so never bought any mm-hmm. And I never had any reason to make that jump, or if that a lot of them aren't necessarily child appropriate or whatever. But I was watching nonfiction, just not in film. And then mm. the first that I can remember was middle school band class. 
Ken Burns Jazz. And we would start the first episode, and then if we ever had another film day, we'd continue. Mm -hmm. But as you know, each episode is horrifyingly long. <laughs> and our, you know, we almost never ended up with a movie day in band class. There was always something to work on. Yeah. So by the it time <laughs> we'd get another one, either half the class would have forgotten it, or it would be the next school year. So we'd have a bunch uh, of new students. Either way, we'd just start from the so beginning. You watch the same episode. So I've seen the first 50 minutes of the episode. <laughs> I can't count the number of times. Oh my god. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. But that was it. And it was, it was a great place to start. I was already into music, obviously. And I loved it. Mm. I don't know that I actively sought out more feature-length stuff, though. I think I went back to just finding more nonfiction on television because I was already sitting in front of the TV and there was a guide in my hand and I didn't need to go to Blockbuster right. to find it, you know. That's it was right I'm in front of me. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> and then the next, like, big documentary memory in my, my mind is Supersize Me. Oh, which yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. which was actually you know, after it had come out it was high school I watched that God, I, love I that think movie. as part of health class or something mm -hmm. or maybe honestly just as a part of a class about like truth in media and truth in data and like sifting bias from things it might have been a writing class even for all I know but we watched who else that makes hungry yeah right that, that was a word we watched <laughs> almost all of Super Size Me and I finished it on my own at some point and then we watched some of his TV watch. series because after Super Size Me went so well he did a TV series for a while called was it 60 days 30 days oh, the number of yeah. days that he did things oh, like yeah, one or two yeah. months right. was just I'm gonna do the thing or something? Like, very so. in vogue for a while. and the episode we watched for that was his minimum wage which oh, was okay. Like living on minimum wage? Yeah, oh. which was really eye-opening. He, yeah. he and his girlfriend at the time did it together. And I remember at one point they borrowed a kid from a friend they knew. And they were just like, can we just like <laughs> this is our have, your, take care of you. have your kid for like three days. Just like like a, a Thursday through a Monday or whatever. Yeah. And it just, it just crippled them financially. Like they were barely managing before. And they finished up with the like, just as a glimpse into what it would be like if we did have children. Oh, you know. Yeah. We talked about that a lot. Um, we didn't watch anything else after that. It was it's just like, those two. It's like 10 years ago, too. Like, it would be yeah. even worse now. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> My it favorite part in Super Size Me is when he's talking about how he has all these, like, fun memories of as a child driving by McDonald's. And he's like, you know, maybe if I ever have kids, if we drive up, like, by McDonald's, I'll, like, punch him in the face so he develops, <laughs> like, a negative reaction to a McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> I still Kill remember... Dad, go to McDonald's! <laughs> I still remember feeling bad for him that... Like, because remember, he couldn't supersize things himself. He only do it when if asked. They asked yeah. them, but if yeah. they asked, he had to say yes. Yeah. yeah. The first time it happens to him is the double quarter pounder meal, which oh. was at the time the biggest thing they served. Might mm -hmm. still be. It is. And he throws up so because he just can't fit that much food in his body at once. Yeah. I remember thinking, was he like vegan or something before? Like I don't he was know. pretty healthy. I think hit, well, I I know that afterwards his like girlfriend put him on a vegan diet. It took him something like three to six months to get back to yeah. his original weight. Like, all the way he put on in 30 months, it took him, like, yeah, 30 days. Yeah. yeah. I just remember thinking that was, like, A, kind of just bad data for his experiment because he went from zero to full blast really right. quickly, and B, like, just sort of feeling sorry for him. Like, right. I, man, of all the times for that to happen, and it was the first time they asked, and it was, like, week two. Mm. <laughs> just ouch, you know? Well, that's yeah. the other thing. Like, I feel like that, that variable in the data was more about, like, the consumerist culture and the idea that this is a product and it 
it doesn't matter to the corporation what it's putting into you. Like that, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely skews the data for that to be that variable floating around. But it's right. also like, like it made him sick. It's like, well, the quantity made him sick right. at that particular point. But it's know? also but, like th- this is the beast. That yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. You shouldn't consume that amount of food yeah. in one right. sitting. Exactly. Yeah. We want to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> want people want to give it to us because it costs more, but. Mm-hmm. I also like the part where he gets like addicted to it and he's in like a super bad mood until he has it and then he's oh, all like cheerful. Yeah. You know, That's like, right. Yeah, so it's oh, not I just like, oh, I'm hungry, I haven't eaten. It's like, I, I need my McDonald's, you know, and like mm-hmm. the, the switch that gets flipped. The know? way that humans are like so adaptable, right? That mm-hmm. they can make any normal, anything normal mm-hmm. if it's consistent enough and then yeah. make you happy when life is normal that like yeah. we can apply that to so many horrifying things. Yeah. <laughs> I also like when the, his girlfriend says, like, yeah, like, I, I have to be on top when we have sex now. <laughs> <laughs> like, Relevant data. <laughs> yeah. To come back to hoop dreams. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we, we went on a, a detraction. <laughs> Ooh, well, speaking of which, one of the ways in which the living and social economic situation did affect William, despite them not showing it, was he had a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Off, sta- yeah. Off, off screen. Off screen. Which... Just out of nowhere, which again is just is more likely in less well-off neighborhoods and kids without other resources. You know, right. was that despite all the fancy trappings at the school and all the support they were giving him with surgery and such. Yeah, well, was a Catholic outside <laughs> of well, yeah, but outside of of basketball, they did not care about him. Right. Like, how about, how about you give some free condoms out? <laughs> like there were there were some of the teachers there who were trying, but mm-hmm. it was. But that was that conversation happened at the inner city school. That that was Arthur's not a, class, yeah, that yeah. was Arthur's oh, class no, yeah. talking about safe sex. But I mean, like <laughs> even the teachers who were trying with William, like asking him about the situation for black students on these colleges, oh, right. like mm-hmm. wasn't it didn't extend very far. Right. And there's that other thing is like I didn't tell my coach for like three or four months. Right. It's like why weren't you at practice? <laughs> she had a yeah. baby, man. <laughs> yeah, that was that. He, he, in the movie that would have been something they harped on real hard right right? like that now you have a family and now it like but that seemed to be one of the things buoying him up it didn't feel like he was held back by it or it didn't feel like a burden and I really liked that portrayal of it it's like his he that was the most lit up you'd really seen him since he was when he was a little kid playing basketball like little but like three years previous like Mm -hmm. he he liked lit up seeing her and that little yeah. interact those were really like wholesome yeah. sweet they moments. didn't portray them as the, the dumb poor idiot high schoolers right, who just right. bang everything that sits still long enough and right. push kids out like there was as again a person who suddenly found yeah. himself with a family felt very little judgment from from the from behind movie. the camera yeah, yeah. it just mm-hmm. it was this it happened matter of factly like it, it yeah although I did like the interaction with, with him and his girlfriend where it was kind of like I forget what exactly he was saying where he was like, oh, but I can't do this and go to college. She's like, I do it. Right. You know, and it was kind of like, the baby yeah, yeah, like it's it's fun that you have this dream about playing sports ball, but like, you know, I have to go to school yep. and work mm-hmm. and raise a child. So like, and there know. was that sudden twist of, oh, well, they all been talking this whole time. And I mean, William's entire family in school were all talking, of course, about this is your only chance and otherwise you're dirt yeah. of maybe it isn't your only chance right you know and that's the thing the portrayal of women in this is like you have this wild eyed dream and that's the thing you have several generations of like aspiring for greatness falling short and fall like mediocrity Mm -hmm. and then you see these moms single mom or like 
going to nursing school, having a family, providing and having to to spin gold out of shit. Like yeah. it's just a really interesting other side of that coin. Like you you see their moms like trying to keep the lights on, trying like spinning all these plates and they're so that they can have this dream mm -hmm. and then fail at it and then be resentful. Like that that was just a really it's I I really liked that too. Like they didn't shy away from that. They really focused on that. What what it's uh Art's mom mm -hmm. who says, I'm I'm gonna finish something, not like your ass. Like I'm gonna go and get this. Yeah. And then that that was I really liked the, the, the relationship between him and his mom too. Like mm -hmm. on both sides. Like because Will's mo dad was never around until it looked like he could make some money off of him. You could definitely and that's the yeah. thing about Will, you could totally see he knew when he was being manipulated mm -hmm. in those moments. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, but he, he he was talking about his mom being everything to him, providing everything. And like that was really important. And Yeah, there were a few moments. I Well, one, uh, I think it was Arthur's mom talking about like, he made it to 18 and he's not dead or involved yeah. in drugs. Yeah. I'm so proud of him. Right. Was, man, like that's what that fight was for yeah. every day was yeah. for that. And she then, was a good mom. She was... Yeah on him like you need to call me because he tells me something different than you yeah. talking to the coach about like mm -hmm. and then I think it was William when they no he was starting to pack up the car and drive yeah. off to college and they zoom in on the mom standing in the door and she says like I hope he stays yeah. it was sort of a I hope he doesn't come back it was right. your goodwill hunting moment, yeah. right? Of the, like, mm -hmm. every day I go to your door and hope you're not there because you're finally on to something better, right. right? It was that, we got that out of her right then and there. Mm -hmm. uh, hope he stays. Yeah. Another random-ass parallel to a, a, a fictional movie based on real events. This reminded me a lot of The Departed. Because <laughs> you got that kind of, like, little city rat, big city rat kind mm -hmm. of thing, like, where... Guy from Southie, like rough and tumble kid, wants to be a, a police officer. Stady, he can't, and then he ends up like being able to perform in bed. Whereas Matt Damon, who has had everything handed to him, has erectile dysfunction, and like that's that's a very Scorsese thing of like your manhood <laughs> is your whole worth. But it's like this idea that like with all the resources in the world, things can go wrong with none of them. Like the yeah. just mm. how those two characters have parallels and like that's, that's the Hollywood yeah. movie kind of version of this kind of story is how they intertwine and everybody gets and I'm not going to ruin it but like jumping back to the whole that the documentary we watched covered the neighborhood without becoming a documentary yeah. about the neighborhood mm -hmm. the the whole just like oh yeah like there have been more and more drug deals going on in our basketball court lately yeah just oh yeah it's happening mm -hmm. but the kids are still are playing and then later when you're saying, yeah, the drug dealers are giving us money to keep up with yeah. our style and merch. That was that reminded me of like old school oh, man. mafia. Well, yeah, stuff. it still happens. All yeah. all a lot of that still happens in the same same principles, yeah. the same means to an end. Yeah. You know that, but some of it it's it's funny that, and I don't have a lot of, almost all the data on this is is, either witness testimony or just anecdotal. So mm -hmm. I mean, take it with the salt it requires. But across the country you get people who both who honest to god swear both that sometimes them doing it as a form of control because they know it means the kids like them right. or the kids owe them yep. or that the community likes them and more than like the police and keeps them safe or whatever but that in other cases you get the like the rocky thing yeah, right guys where they're just like no like i 
I came from this neighborhood too, and I also like these children, and if they don't have to deal drugs, that's great. It's good for all of us, and it makes their mom happy, and all makes the whole neighborhood better, so fuck off, here's my money. Like, as far as we can tell, you get both of that, honestly. Yeah. And these, they still do, yeah. you know, to this day. That was another thing I liked and they about didn't, it, like, Sorry, they didn't go into detail, right? Yeah. Arthur just said, yeah, they gave us the money. That was the end of that right. topic, and it left me going... Is it one or the other? And I, who knows? All right, I'm sorry, please. No, that's, and that's the other thing. In the Hollywood movie, you would really focused on the degradation of Arthur's friend who got into drugs and then right. went to jail. And like, but Shannon, yeah. It, it, you just you see kind of the glimpses of it, and then it's matter of fact, he's in jail. Like he got, there was and so I never much sadness do... in Arthur's voice, right? Like yeah. We were hanging out, pounding around. We said we'd never do that, man. Right. And we were in it together. Right. It wasn't a moralistic take. It was just like art thought that that's not what I want to do with my life. Yeah, he was sad for and his he was, friend. He was, he was yeah. firm in that and it wasn't like a moralistic lens of all of it. It was just mm-hmm. like, I can't do that. I've seen what it's done. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was a, there's a lot of restraint on, on the documentary film crew. I think, I think that might stem from like just discovery. Like they, it fell in their laps. Like, I can't so much believe it. that. Yeah. I, it was like, I feel like most of it's just like, are you getting this? Like, we, right. like there's there's no artistic stroke necessary. Like, it's it's all there. I there's no way you can imagine all of the twists and you know plot lines and stories that come out of it when they are like, oh hey, here's a bunch of kids on a playground. And his Let's dad comes filming. back, through yeah, without his shirt, and he's like, just like that, like it's just wow. He's been gone, he went to prison, you see like... And how the, when they're separated again later during the college bit, uh-huh. we don't know why. Yep. Maybe he fell back into the drugs, maybe he didn't. Maybe it was something else, right. who knows. But they, they seem to take with good faith his... When he comes back the first time, right. his like... they. On the one hand, they represent the family as like being maybe kind of cautious and rightfully so. Yeah. But they also represent him as a man who's had his own trouble. It's not easy, it's not just... Yeah. You know, he's not a two-dimensional villain or a switch you can right. flip, you know. We've really gone all in, in circles here, but always <laughs> come back to the film for no, once, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. But is it rich. maybe time, Joel? One quick, one more. Yeah, oh, for one sure. last Please, thing. no, yeah, just, yeah, stop uh, me. It's your film. <laughs> you can just a very quick, it. very lighthearted. Um, <laughs> just as, as uh, Joel and Scott find the watch in in the movies they watch oh, right? yeah. this was like a dream for me with like late 80s early 90s sportswear right Just the hats the jerseys the jackets the starter shoes. jackets the shoes it's gotta oh, be the great. shoes there was one the moment Jays, where uh i think arthur had uh, a chicago white Sox baseball cap Charlotte yeah. Hornets basketball jacket and Detroit Tigers baseball jersey. Uh-huh. And there's just, but just they all looked great. But there's no city loyalty, no sport <laughs> no, loyalty, no all. team loyalty. But just, <laughs> just hey, these are all wearing the style. Yeah. This is like, ooh, Georgetown jacket. Ooh, I kept looking at like the, the posters on the wall and the, yeah, the Michael had, Jordan. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, uh, I, I have one of those. Oh, still the measuring in the one. Yeah, and it's still in its tube. It hasn't oh. even gotten out yet. My uncle Lenny had one of those. Awesome. Yeah, I saw the Michael Jordan like dunking with the moon one in the background too. Did you see the one that was like uh, no brains, no game, where he's in a suit yeah. in oh, the background? I and that he's one. like uh, I think Art is studying in front of it. Oh, like, yeah. I, yeah. I yeah. didn't like, catch that. that nice touch. Yeah. And that big suit, that gray <laughs> flared lapel '80s style yeah. suit. Like, <laughs> William was wearing, yeah, yeah. for the dinner. Oh, the okay. style. This was yeah. sweater watch for me, man. Oh, I want all of these sweaters. They're all awful, and I want them. Oh, man. 
I've got to find my thing that I look yeah, for. And we'll get this. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, was I didn't know this was going to happen. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Williams were in that little gold number. Yeah, that I like that. Thing. Yeah. That one was cool. Mm-hmm. And then all the coaches <laughs> had like varying degrees of like, and then the, some of the, the inner city yeah. teachers are like, that's a Timex. I know that dude doesn't, <laughs> can't afford a nice yeah. watch. <laughs> but with that, it's yeah. a time now for Joel's favorite segment. Yeah. And I'll put it right here. It is It is time for another situational movie recommendation. I actually have one again. Oh. Although it's a little predictable and it's going to hurt Tim. Did, this, did the picker bring one, though? I've, I've got a couple. Zeke also oh, Yeah, one. give it to Zeke. Okay. It's going to um, be better than mine. I mean, <laughs> they're, uh, we've, we've talked about them a lot, too, so maybe... Maybe it's the same one. Maybe we just veto it. I don't know. Let's see how it goes. But um, the first one was kind of just what was the last documentary that brought you out to theaters or, you know, oh. maybe not necessarily theaters, but like you sought out and went Set to Netflix to watch. Yeah. What's Civil War. One? Ken Burns Civil War. Okay. Because A, a I've yeah. never still, still never finished jazz. But B, I discovered <laughs> they were all on Netflix and was like, oh. I want to just, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to do one of these. I'm going to finish it. And... I was once again like back into the the oratory of Lincoln at the time, just rereading his speeches and focusing on his presidency. And so I was like, "All right, Civil War done." So that was the one, and I think I still have like twenty minutes left on that last episode. But yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I apologize, Tim. I know earlier you were asked about documentaries, and you're like, "Don't really watch them." I'm like, "Fuck, those are the that's my situational this time." Yeah. Um, like I do have two that I saw in theaters, so we can't mm-hmm. discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> Do it, do no, it. I need to move it. Okay. I can't okay. So, so I did. Yeah, I, I saw uh, Fahrenheit 9/11 in the theaters. Mm, that was the mm. first one I saw. Um, yeah, because I had seen. I think Bowling for Columbine. I think had just come out on video around that time. And then, like I said, I went back to watch Roger and Me, and then oh, Fahrenheit 9/11 is coming out. Yeah. And watch that. Um, the other one is uh, What the Bleep Do We Know? And it was back in my, you know, Joel likes when I talk about my, my new age phase. Woo! Um, <laughs> um, it's a Tim that I, that I, I would have, I don't know if we would have gotten along. But no, no, we would have not. I would have liked to watch. Me. Really? <laughs> yeah. I tell Krista that all the time, too. I'm like, you wouldn't have liked me when I was younger. I think I'm just <laughs> like, I, I'm more new agey in my head. So I think I like would have admired your bravery from a distance. <laughs> Maybe. And I mean, I, I feel like my, my one saving grace is there was... It was always it was always something I was trying. Like I never really felt like I fit into that world. It was more like, well, this other thing didn't work. What about this? You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so like that was a documentary that came out where, and, and and this was a really interesting thing too. Like as it, I've kind of gotten older and as it's it's aged, kind of looking back on it and you know again kind of Scott like with you, what you were mm-hmm. talking about the way things can be kind of like shaped and and the the experts that they were interviewing in this and it's it's about um loosely i think it's about well here's the thing i think the movie claims to be kind of about quantum physics but i'm sure a quantum (laughs) physicist will be like that is not fucking how quantum (laughs) physics works so that was kind of the thing but at the time um what it was all about was this i you know loosely for me was this idea of um you know because when i when i stopped being catholic i didn't become atheist I wasn't like, there is nothing. It was like, it's not the way you guys describe it, but I don't think it means that there is nothing. So that's kind of what led to the whole, I'll pause so you can take care of the cat. <laughs> See that look he gave you? That was such a fuck you dad look. You are a motherfucker. 
Parker. <laughs> you know that one's allergic. <laughs> they always You're know. allergic. They always know. <laughs> you guys have seen Pinocchio, right? Yeah. Where he's trying to trick Pinocchio into thinking there's something wrong with him, like he's like sick, and he's like doing all this. He's like, oh, I know what it is. You're allergic. Like not to anything. Like that was his. That was his ill condition. Yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite cheesy Geico commercials were those ones with Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Like, I, I mean the simple ones where he gets pulled over or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like Pinocchio as a as a motivational speaker. <laughs> when I look around this room. I see nothing but potential. Whoop. <laughs> you Damn it. you have potential. Whoop. And you can turn your life. Whoop. <laughs> it just gets more and more awkward and sad as the commercial goes on. Oh, <laughs> All right, so with the cat dealt with, uh, please, Tim. <laughs> okay, De- so dealt with. yes, so so yeah, so so I was kind of like seeking something else out. And what was really cool about this is it was this idea of sort of this this be- beneath the surface spirituality kind of merging with with science. Supposedly that mm-hmm. the two are not at odds with each other; they're actually a lot more the same. And we're just using two different languages to talk about them, which then, oddly enough, is what Thor says. And yep. I think the Thor movie, science, you know, and, science and magic, are yep. the same thing. It's just you know, so it's just like, oh, okay. So, so that was sort of what this was kind of really cool about was like watching this film with who you know who I thought are these like actual scientists, and I don't know to what degree they are or aren't actually like. I mean, I think it said they had degrees, you know. In certain like a things, Richard Rohr, like what was the documentary called? Uh, what the bleep do we know? Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, so so anyway, and they're, you know they're talking about all these things, and it's like super inspiring. But it's not just this like the secret or like oh pray about it, and if God finds you, you know, kind of like I, I made that joke when they were praying before the basketball game and it's just like <laughs> let's pray and then maybe we'll win it's like well what about the other team like maybe they're praying too and how you know it's kind of messed up making the, the virgin mary pick which team is gonna win like what you know so so it wasn't so much about like oh pray to some deity who's gonna bestow this upon you and say fuck you to everybody else it was about oh no there's a scientific explanation for how this stuff works it's like oh so it's like actually real you know so anyway at the time you know that was kind of quote-unquote mind-blowing in that sense um you know since then i mean it's kind of fallen away and i don't you know again like um as i've kind of moved out of that and kind of looked at it from the outside it's kind of like yeah like and like i said i don't know to what degree what they're saying in it is garbage i just don't feel as though i can trust it you know Mm -hmm. because i feel like it's it is kind of probably falls more into the whole like pseudoscience kind of thing Mm -hmm. where it's like hey, I once heard someone who was a scientist talk about something and it sounded like this other thing. So I'm going to connect the two and make this quote-unquote connection, you know, and say that it's now the way it works, you know, kind of thing. Um, so that was one of the big ones in theories. But yeah, at the time I was just like, oh my God, like they're they're putting all this stuff in a documentary and now everyone can know it and everyone can know how the world actually works. And it was just kind of like, oh, you know, as I got older, it's like, oh, maybe, I, don't, I don't know if that's how that works. <laughs> And sometimes, like, I, I've actually thought about bringing it to the podcast because I haven't seen it in so long and to kind of see, like, okay, like, like I don't want to just look at it by myself again and poke holes in it because it's, like, I'm trying to justify kind of leaving this part of my life, but, like, to also watch it with other people who can look at it more objectively, you know, and be like, oh, yeah, like, that's not really how this thing is. Oh, but, but that guy is. And, you know, what he's saying is kind of true. Or, you know, like are they taking things that he's saying out of context to kind of fit this one point they're trying to make and you know 
So, so yeah, I think that was also the documentary that, you know, kind of for me made me stop trusting documentaries, you know, where it's just like, ooh, I don't, yeah, I don't know that just because you're saying here's an expert and here's a scientist, mm. you know, because, um, you know, I'm, you know, astrology is considered by some to be a science, you right. know, well, it has to do with the planets. And it's like, but it's what you're saying about the planets. <laughs> soft serve science. Right, yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, those are my documentary in the theaters. So I don't know that there's ever been ones that, like, I've been, like, jacked up excited for them to be released so I could go see them. But, like, one, I still haven't seen it, was the McQueen documentary about Alexander McQueen, the fashion designer. I really wanted to see that because he has such a twisted, fucked up life, and I was really wanting to explore that. Um, but I still haven't gotten to see it. Like, that was one I was really excited to see, and then it came and went from theaters. Mm-hmm. Um but I remember there was a Francis Bacon one painter um, lots of slaps of beefs um, that was on YouTube and I saw that and it was the kind of one that I was like oh when I get some time I really want to watch that Um, yeah but there's not been a whole lot of like theater going for documentaries or Mm -hmm. awaiting because I'm coming to the documentary genre kind of late I feel like a lot of the ones that I want to see already came out, so I'm like waiting for them to become available. Like, makes sense. Yeah. But there's nothing I was like chomping at the bit to see, and then it was released, and I could get it that day, like that kind of thing. It was more yeah. mm-hmm. Queen would or Queen would be the be the one, but I still haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um. What about you, Zeke? Um, yeah, I think I mean they're pretty recent, but two that got me to the theater were um, Three Identical Strangers. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that one, yeah. That was that was good. I mean, the, the trailer really sucks you in, and it's really like, wow, what's going to happen? Uh, I don't know if I was as wowed by the uh-huh. movie itself. I think the trailer tells a lot of it, and then what happens after what happens in the trailer is kind of... Man. But anyway, but that got us there, right? We were like, wow, like, yeah, you know, what happens? Job, what an right? amazing Got your butt in the twist. seat. Exactly. So that was one. And then... Um, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Oh, Rogers one. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the other, the Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers out now. But the documentary, Mr. Rogers one, I was like, I need to be there for that. And so I didn't saw that. in the theater. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah. I did. I, oh, I, God, I just I was watching the trailer. I was like at work one yeah. day. And it was on. I was just like, oh, here's <laughs> your mail. I didn't watch that much Mr. Rogers to begin with. But mm. it was like, oh, I love this guy. Right. Like, he's just so sweet and so readily identifiable as a safe mm-hmm. place it's just so good yeah and so that uh if we have time second half yeah, of, of the question w- was um this is your second question thank you <laughs> excited to be here um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the second now you're excited <laughs> <laughs> this is mine <laughs> the second uh question was um which documentary was either is either your favorite because it's one that you just go back and watch a lot or one that was most jarring to you and I don't want to keep right we've talked a lot about favorite documentaries or ones we've seen yeah. or whatever so we don't have to no, rehash I've got two but... more quick answers for that actually yeah, okay. and my favorite is Zero Dreams of Sushi I, that was so one of mine good. too which yeah. is just yeah. a, it's, a it's exactly what yeah. a bio, bio doc should be mm-hmm. in its its length its form its yeah. editing the way it presents perfect pinnacle and then the way it presents the food Oh, it's such food porn. That's my favorite. Yeah. I rewatched that many times. My most jarring is another 
TV series, which was multiple parts, but it was a group basically trying to look into the Kennedy shooting, uh, right? Of course, um, <laughs> of course. But it's a whole they subsection. took their whole project was they bought a rifle of the same kind as used in the assassination. They shot it a whole bunch to like measure its minute of angle and etc. and all that sort of thing to get a feel for like what's normal for this rifle compared to the other one they have. They rebuilt an exact model of the car um, using as many accurate parts as they could for outer materials, especially leather and stuff. And then they rebuilt exact ballistics gel dummies of Kennedy and um, was it the senator or governor he was in the car with? The other man? Was with skeletons. They didn't do her. I don't know why. With skeletons and everything. What the fuck? And they made like 10 dummies and they said, we're going to go out to a range. We have our car. We built a wood tower to represent the depository. We're going to put our gun down on a stand that adjusts by the millimeter. And we're going to shoot the dummy of Kennedy. And we're going to do it until we're out of dummies. And we're going to look at all the bullets and the way they go, what they hit, how they bounce, where they reflect. And we're just going to try to basically prove or disprove, like, could the shooter's shot have taken the course it, you know, supposedly did, right? To, and the whole time they came down very level-headed of a, like a, we don't think there was a second shooter, you know, magic bullet, like bullets do weird shit when you shoot them. Every, no two shots are ever the same by just the, the way the atmosphere, like it's really, it's, it's wow. not even remotely a science. And they did all that across like three hour long episodes at least. And they get out to the range and it's really windy. Which, of course, is going to screw up your shooting, right? Because it wasn't more windy than it was on the day. Mm-hmm. So they're talking about, we don't know, and they finally get a break in the wind and take their first shot. And something went went a little weird, so their first shot they couldn't use. I don't remember what it was, but they couldn't use their first round of, you know, two bullets, right? Um, so then the wind picks up again, and they wait and they wait, and the wind clears again, and they take a second shot at a second dummy, second set of shots, I guess I should say, right? Because they did two both times. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And... That one, like, also went weird because they put the car in the back, the model back in the wrong spot or something, you know, human error. And then they called it a day. And they were done. Oh, Not, see. like, done that day. Done, done. <laughs> I, I don't know if they ran out of money wow. for shooting range time or what, but they just stopped. And they went That's up and amazing. went, well, um, we got these two data points and we can't really prove or disprove anything and I think people should really give, pay more attention to what other people say. Which was completely opposite to the whole, these other people are conspiracy nuts that he'd been taking the entire time, right? He like suddenly became very supportive of these weird theories. And then, and, done. I have this distinct memory of sitting in my house and being more furious than I've ever been in my entire life at an inanimate object of just like I want to destroy this television I was so upset I was upset that that these people who'd been so level headed the whole time just suddenly became brain dead I was upset that the crew following them because they didn't make the show for that like it was a separate crew following this team who'd set out to do the thing also just decided to accept that and go home. I was upset that the television channel decided to air it, who, by the way, stepped in to help fund them at one point with, like, we can help you with the car thing because we know a guy. Like, oh my god, I've never seen such a reversal before. And then, like I said, too, like, the whole time otherwise, they're talking about, like, how the conspiracy theories are kind of just not always evidence-based and kind of weird. And then at the very end, they were like, oh man, I guess they're 
Maybe more true than we thought. What? What? <laughs> you didn't perform your experiment. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've never been angrier in my life at a documentary. That was the one. I think they should do a series of like Mythbuster episodes where they do that somewhere, same thing. They somewhere, build all this shit and Lowe's, they're like, meh, let's just walk away. <laughs> That'll be our documentary now for Mythbusters. Right, yeah. Some of those dummies are still in a warehouse somewhere. Right. And the car is out there. We can do it. We can finish it. You were right there. I was so upset. Oh my god. That was Did just... Polly be yours? Yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. So, I've, to, I've discussed it enough, but okay. yeah, you're right. That's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I love it. Might get loud, which is maybe a documentary. It's unclear. Guitar it's, porn. It's guitar porn. <laughs> yeah. It's it's guitar and guitarist porn. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's an ethereal weird thing. Eventually, I'll bring it to the podcast. But I love Helvetica. That is still need to watch it, that impeccably done documentary about font and it's amazing and you wouldn't think it's amazing but it's amazing and these people are like so excited to talk about typeface <laughs> I've never like watching I was like you could be a geek about anything and it's beautiful it's <laughs> I, I love it and there's people who have like really strong opinions about whether they like Helvetica or they don't like Helvetica as a font <laughs> And it's like people want to fight people over this, and it makes me so happy. <laughs> now, is that is that a real thing, or is it? Yes. Okay, because I feel like it could be a, a mockumentary. Oh about, yeah. Listen, how like stupid people are about the things that they're in, into, and how they'll fight about. No, stuff this is like, like this. really genuine. Like, like it is geez. not not to one side at all. Like this, it's like totally like funny. sincere. I love it so much, but I also love the Eagles documentary. <laughs> Because they yep. hate each other so fucking much, and they're this soft rock band, and they have no right to be as macho shithead as they are about. Like, what are you and the Eagles together? Like, it, they're so shitty to each other. As opposed to Fleetwood Mac, where you can hear the hate in the, in the music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that one is like every six months or every time that I'm house sitting I want to watch these musicians just hate each other for, for sure. four hours it's longer than this with both parts like it's so 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 ridiculous you just made me remember that there's a Rush documentary called All the World's a Stage that I actually watched so no that's my new favorite yeah, okay. you reminded me of the Star Wars documentary that came with the DVD releases uh, Betting the Farm or where you watched- Empire of Dreams <laughs> right. Keep watching George Lucas get more and more frustrated and sad. <laughs> yeah, but like, that was also great. Just again, it, like the length, it was just perfect. It was the perfect amount of behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Zeke, what would would make yeah. your list? Yeah. Um, well, I do. I do have a list. So Good. I'll just uh, and it's getting late, so I'll roll through it quick. Oh. But I will say that um, I do enjoy documentaries. Is something that I I seek out. I feel like mm-hmm. not all the time, but like there are definitely moods where I sit down and like tonight's a documentary night. Don't know what it's going to be about. I'm going to scroll through Netflix or Amazon or whatever until I find one. And Tim, like you said earlier, it's going to be something that is about a topic that I that I like. And I'm like, oh, wow, they covered it in this way. Um, so I, I think I have a list because I do enjoy watching them. Um, so every 30 for 30 that ESPN has done, <laughs> oh, the they're Rick all Flair amazing. One. The Ric Flair one's Rick great. Flair every one so of good. them is great. Um, uh, Hero Dreams of Sushi is another favorite mm-hmm. just for enjoyability. 
Um, have you guys seen the uh, Flat Earth documentary? Yeah, Behind, Behind the, the Curve. curve? No. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the one on HBO? Oh my God. Uh, Netflix. Netflix. Oh, is yeah. it good? It's amazing. That's, it's I... truly fun. It's. I went in thinking like, oh boy, they're giving a platform <laughs> yeah. to these idiots, but it's, I don't know. Is that know. the it's, one that fucking fun. Aaron Paul, is that his name did? No, not Aaron Paul. Uh, what's the, the, the fucking... Aaron Carter? No. Logan Paul? <laughs> Logan Paul, thank you. Yeah, oh. is that the one that he did? No. Because I, I remember so. seeing a thing uh-huh. where he was doing a... a Flat Earther documentary. Mm-hmm. So, okay. so I'll watch it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was, see, that's the, the one I mentioned where the guy does the complete 180 on how he feels about Kennedy assassination right. theories was like, like here, everyone pretty much sticks to their guns throughout the entire Flat Earth documentary. And that's why I thought of it is because it starts out and it's like, okay, it's just going to interview people who believe Flat Earth is a thing and give them this platform. And I'm like, what am I in here for? But then you get to the <laughs> end and it starts like not actively poking fun at them but it's like oh you want to do an experiment they to can't prove the earth is flat do it. please do it <laughs> that we're gonna film you do it when the results happen yeah. that, that face <laughs> oh my god you They're can trying see to find every excuse in the book about, oh, uh, if you've well, ever wanted to see cognitive dissonance become <laughs> rationalization visually on a man's face <laughs> Oh, that's so amazing. I'd recommend what that one. What is it? One. Behind the Behind Curve. The curve. Yeah. Which is also a great name. Yeah. 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 So that's a fun one to watch. Um, and then for more jarring or serious ones, um, 13th was really good. Oh, okay. Um, the, you know, about the prison pipeline in the U.S. and the racial disparities that there. pretty recent, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think 2018 or... Yeah. And was that... 2018. I don't know if they mentioned it at all, but was that either inspired by the popularity of or springboarding off of the bo- a book that it's, came out? I don't know for sure. I know uh, Ava DuVernay did it, but I think yeah. I think it was I just, they, a book. They happened yeah. sort of in a sequence that made me think, but I've never, right. I don't know, looked it up, I guess. Never yeah. Googled. I feel like curious. that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that one's a great one. Um, American Factory, uh, this year's Oscar yeah. winner for Best Documentary on Netflix now. I'll plug that. That was really good. And then uh, I'll double down on Won't You Be My Neighbor as also jarring because I was just went and cried and <laughs> wanted all of the Mr. Rogers stuff in my life. So, yeah, good little list. Yeah. I have some added to my list to watch. Yes, yeah, same. Same. <laughs> oh, I thought of another one just to plug. I'm not going to talk, talk about it, but um, I don't know if it's still on HBO, but it, I think it's called Believer. And it's about the, the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, and oh, he's good. a Mormon. And it's him coming to terms sort of with the Mormon church's belief on, like, the LGBTQ community mm-hmm. and how he's like, well, but wait a minute. Like, what? So how he is trying to, how he's struggling with kind of, like, his faith versus, like, the fact, hey, th- these are people, mm-hmm. like, who, who, who you know, are, are, are valid. Yeah. And, you know, like, so kind of seeing him kind of how he struggles and deals with that. And it was, it was really cool, really interesting. And I think, you know, especially showing, because I feel like it's, it's very... Um, a lot of the view you see is people outside of religion who are just like, well, yeah, it's it's why is this even a struggle? But to see someone kind of who's in entrenched in it, kind of struggling mm-hmm. with it and trying to find like, you know, as opposed to being like, well, I guess I have to hate gay people, you know, and just accepting it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, in this back and forth. And because, you know, he's like in a popular band, he has a bit of a voice to be able to kind of talk to both sides and kind of stuff like that so so yeah definitely check that out you reminded me of a very reckless documentary from i want to say from a few decades ago mm-hmm. which is why they sort of got away with this but it was it was about drugs it was about maybe crack actually specifically but basically what was gonna be one piece of it was they found a, a willing volunteer who had a job and life and house and support system and family and everything who was volunteering to try it once 
for the first time ever to talk his way through the entire process, explain what he felt and why, and then for them to check in with him over the next few weeks as things moved. But just that, you know, the, which I mean, yeah, you'd never oh, never get permission for this nowadays. But the documentary the, the phrase not even once comes from. Yeah. <laughs> but the documentary instead became entirely about him because it turned out he was a basically recovered former drug addict and had lied to everyone, oh, including oh, wow. his like fiance and everyone who knew him in his whole life basically about Damn. that. So it completely destroyed his life because he fell back into the addiction. Damn. And it was this awful to watch spiral of just suffering that got worse and worse and left the filmmakers like horrified with themselves. Jesus. I mean a bit a bit rightly so to okay. be fair, although, you know I mean the idea was bad to begin with, but then, you know, if he hadn't lied to them they would have absolutely found someone else, you know, the whole Again, intentions, road to hell, yada yada. But I, something about this, the way you mentioned the, like, finally seeing from the perspective of someone on the inside mm -hmm. reminded me of the, like, this right. very suddenly became a perspective of someone whose life has been attached to drugs for right, a long time right. instead of what it was meant to be originally. Yeah. Yeah. I still remember uh, very vividly when he first tries it and then a scene of, like, the last time they ever found him to talk to him before he just, they just. He just kind of vanished, presumably oh back into homelessness and addiction. And he was walking down the street, and it was night, and he was lit by like the lamp from the camera, and like trying to get away from them, and Jeez. them trying, not even trying to like half-heartedly trying to fail now as the camera dips a lot, as they're just like, don't walk away to wherever the hell you're going, like come with us to our house or anywhere, like not even a hospital, like please just don't, no one can get in touch with you, and we're really worried. On that note, yeah, Jesus. on that very sad note. Um, <laughs> Thanks for bringing rock. us down. <laughs> and now pass me the rock. And with that, <laughs> yeah, that one I won't seek out again. We'll watch other documentaries. Mr. Rogers, sushi, yeah, watch Happy yeah. Things. <laughs> next month, we're back to Joel. Woo! Joel, what will you be bringing us next month? So I have assembled some data on the podcast previous picks, and we are woefully underrepresentative of directors of color and directors who are women. So in an effort yeah. to counteract that, um, I'm going to bring a movie called Cleo from 5 to 7, yeah. from 1962, directed by Agnes Varda. It is a French film. I watched it recently in an effort to... I'm trying to watch more female-directed films because it's it's ridiculous that all the things that I like are by men. It's... Mm -hmm. I don't I, know why. There, there's so many more of those things to begin with, and there's so much more uh, promoted, I guess. You know, I, so I'm it, making an effort. It's just the thing um, I stumbled And Zeke can into, attest yeah. that I agonized over Certainly. this, trying to find yeah. stuff. And, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm going to try and do my next few picks are going to be female-directed, led, or written so mm -hmm. uh, this was really fascinating 1962 avant-garde very very domestic in some ways but very interesting camera movements very cool very French I'm I'm excited to show cool. you guys yeah, it's it's something that like within yeah. the first 10 minutes is like this is this is exactly what I was looking for for in film and, yeah. my, my effort to diversify our podcast yes. yeah certainly good I'm glad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> cool. Excellent. That's going to be fantastic. And uh, thank you, listeners, if you made it through this far with us, through all our documentary talk. <laughs> yeah. 
until next this is month. a good one it like, is thank it's you, good episode. Like, it feels yeah. good yeah. i feel like yeah opening mm-hmm. the door to documentaries just kind of an old flood floodgates yeah. Yeah. yeah i guess this was a slam dunk oh <laughs> perfect until next month goodbye <laughs> Hey listeners, we appreciate you tuning in for our podcast. We're now available on iTunes if you'd like to check us out there. I'd be glad to have you subscribe. We'd also love to hear your feedback, whether it's a comment, review, or anything else. You can reach us all through our official Nerds That Geek emails, which you can find on the bio page at nerdsthatgeek.com. If you want to find us on social media, I'm on Instagram at scott underscore w underscore murray, or on Twitter at scottmntg. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Joel T18. And I'm on Twitter at NerdsThatZeke. And on Instagram, I'm the Tim Gerard. And on Twitter, I'm at Tim Gerard. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope you'll come back for more.